Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 238th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that still stands, as should we all, with the movement to end racial injustice and defund police services in favor of more effective options. Also, super duper into fair and free elections, if such a thing can be come by this fall. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, James. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, did you happen to see the ridiculous VIP opening that I partook in last evening? Uh, I caught a photo of you holding two Japanese foil showcase force wheels. Was that correct? Yeah. That seemed pretty good. <laughs> so I opened one on stream on Twitch about a month ago, I guess. Uh, maybe three weeks ago. And I had... That was the four VIP boost, Japanese VIP boosters that I traded with face-to-face games toronto in exchange for four ultimate secret layers so about a thousand dollars worth of value and they coughed up between the japanese force of will being worth something like two grand if you believe tcg pricing uh something like twenty eight hundred dollars in value so that was a win and i knew that i had 16 other japanese vip boosters on their way to me in two separate shipments. One of them was going to have eight. The other one was going to have eight. So I opened the second eight and did pretty well. Nothing super crazy, but did very well, like up maybe 30% or something. I think there was two foil Japanese Kalias and Avacyn, um, a couple of swords, good stuff, and did pretty decently with the rares and the mythics. And then a week later, the last eight show up, but they're with 24 English VIPs that I was planning on putting away uh, to sit on for six to 12 months. And I figured, you know, I'm so far up, so far with the Force of Will. What harm could possibly befell me if I pop these open? And I justified it to myself on the basis that the, the cost average on these last eight was the lowest of all of them it was 375 because they were pre-ordered in the u.s during the pre-order period at basically the same price as english so you're talking about less than a hundred dollars per now of course this is statistically the wrong decision because though it's pretty easy if you paid say 200 150 to 200 or even less for the japanese vips to open about that much over some any reasonable volume 
the real target that we've been talking about in the Discord is to sell them for 250 to 300. The lowest subcase of four units uh, on eBay right now is about $1,000. There aren't very many of them floating around. The Japanese VIPs were very few of them leaked out of Japan. Very few of them were ever sold in North America, and there's no restock coming at all. So most of the people in the Discord that are, you know, have a strong handle on common sense have just been sitting on theirs hoping that they're going to out them for some extravagant price, maybe towards Christmas or during tax season next year when the refunds roll in. All of this, uh, assuming the entire planet's uh, civilization does not melt down in the meantime. But me being who I am, I went ahead and cracked the the Japanese VIPs. And in the first box, first pack, uh, first subcase, first pack, I opened Jace the Mind Sculptor which is a $700 card unto itself. Six or 700, I suppose. And two boosters later, I opened a Mana Crypt. So now I'm so far ahead on these that I'm thinking, you know what, whatever, we'll just open the last four. Like, how bad can it go? You can get a couple Goblin Guides and an Expedition map, we'll still be doing fine. No matter what happens, you're going to walk away feeling like you accomplished it. Or at least that it's going to be, you know, between the Jace, the Mana Crypt, and the first Force of Will... We're well ahead. So I've already beat the, you know, if you, if the target was to sell them for 1,000 retail minus 15% fees or whatever and get 850 out of value out of them, we're already ahead of that. So if they go up to 400, maybe we won't quite get there, but, you know, it's still going to be a very solid opening. Um, because the overall cost basis for this, this ends up being 20 booster packs of Japanese VIP. And my total cost basis on these was 375, 375, uh, these are subcase prices, 560, 808, and then I the most I paid was a thousand, which is pretty amazing. The the thousand dollar case uh, is the one that had the force of will in the sense that I traded the four ultimate secret layers, which were valued at about 250 at the time. So we've got subcases that I paid 375 for and traded a thousand for within the same month. That's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the total cost of the 20 packs is $3,118. So then heading into the last subcase, I think the first box we opened fairly poorly. I think it was like an Urza's Land and an Exploration. So you're doing pretty good. Like the the pack had a foil Japanese ensnaring bridge or something in it. So you're still at like 150, 160. But if you're trying to sell them at 2250, not that exciting. So I'm expecting more of the same. I haven't really had a subcase that was mostly rares yet. Uh, early on with my English openings, I opened mostly Mythic. Uh, I think something like 11 out of 14 of my first packs were had the Mythic foils when you're only supposed to see them two-thirds of the time or whatever. So the second one, I s- slip up the real rare extra slow, and I see Scott M. Fisher, and I'm thinking, wait a second, that's not the... Flip it up, and there's the second foil Japanese force of will. (laughs) And I'd be lying if I said I didn't do a little dance around the room and give a little fist pump. Because now on just over $3,100, we're looking at just between the two force of wills, $4,000. So (laughs) we're up $800 on two cards. Those force of wills are two grand. Two grand. So gross. And the Japanese buy list on them was extremely high in the first two weeks of release. I think it got up as as high as, I want to say, 3,800 yen. Might have even been higher than that. It has since come down a lot, which is telling about 
you know, speaks volumes about Haruyuya's uh, willingness to take on more inventory at the given pace of sales. So they probably, like, their usual whales that will pick up whatever amazing thing shows up in the store have bitten off their copies. And so the buy list sank and sank and sank. And I think this week it's only at 700, uh, like 70,000 yen, which is roughly 675 US or something. So not super uh, bullish at the moment. But I expect that there aren't that many more of these floating around. And TCG is currently about 2,000. I would guess that to get a deal done tomorrow, if you offered 15 or 1600, you could probably find a buyer for both of mine. So let's say that at minimum, the two of those cover off the, the cost of the packs. But the total value of all the other box top reser I opened, given that there was a Mana Crypt and a Jason, whatever, is $7,355 in 40 box toppers. It was a pretty good pull. I'll give you that. And that was with being relatively conservative with the pricing, where if I thought the prices on TCG seemed extravagant, just because there was very basically nothing there, which is true for some of these, I would go by the Harayuya pricing, where they have deeper inventory and it's more sensible. Um, and, I, and again, that's just the 40 box toppers. Keep in mind, there's a bunch of other stuff in these packs. So there's also another four or $500 in foil rares and mythics. So I pulled like a Karn Liberated, a Land Tax, an Avacyn, Angel of Hope, Scarab God, Archangel of Thune, Ensnaring Bridge, Darksteel Forge, etc. In, uh, in the foil regular versions. And then you have tons and tons of good foil and commons. Like there's $15 foil oubliettes in there. There's foil Mishra's baubles. There's all sorts of goodies. And then you have the John Avon lands, which are selling briskly especially japanese versions because those have never existed before you tend to get one foil avon land per pack and even if you only value those at 10 bucks that's another four or five hundred dollars uh including the non-foils because you get uh 10 of the non-foils as well so boy oh boy anybody who went really deep on japanese vips even if you don't open force of wills as long as you open reasonably well that 375 entry price might have been one of the best specs of the year that sounds uh, a little survivor biasy, but okay. <laughs> well, no, but like what I'm saying is, if you if you cut out the force of wills, so take my total is something like eight thousand with the force of wills. If you say that the force of wills are four thousand of that, that's still four thousand over three thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Like maybe the rest of your packs were above average too, and you just they don't seem as above average simply because compared to the two force of wills, they look normal. Uh, I. Looking at what I opened, there's no like deep duplicates other than the Force of Wills. So I made sure to cut those out to get a more realistic perspective. These packs just open well because there's a Japanese multiplier that isn't present on all of the box toppers, but on certain of them, it's definitely present. So for instance, Thought Seizes are about 35 on TCG, but Foil Japanese Thought Seizes are over 120. Um, Jace is 700 versus like 100, 150 or whatever the English version is, et cetera, et cetera. The, the Japanese foil mana crypt, first time that's ever existed, that's ridiculous. So the, it, you really do in say 20 packs want to hit, you know, a Jace, a crypt, a Karn, a force of will somewhere in that mix to come out ahead. If you missed all of those, yeah, you probably wouldn't be doing as well, but you'd probably still at minimum break even. Like 
if you replace my force of wills with goblin guides, I still do pretty reasonably here and would still be up a thousand bucks minus 15%. That's really very, very reasonable for a short-term return. If you can flip those out into the market in six weeks, you're in gold. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it definitely worked out if you got, especially because there's the Japanese, you know, that adds a little bit of uh, the extra bit of juice you need to really push it over the top. And again, for the more uh, sensible or timid hearted, depending on which way you want to label them, people that are holding these, the hold and flip is going to work out just fine. Totally minimal effort. You don't have to post a bunch of singles for sale. You know, I feel confident that those people are going to get their like $1,000 per subcase asking price sooner or later, because at a certain point, there's just going to be none of those left around. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine the inventory is already reasonably shallow. Yeah. So uh, adventures in in cracking. Uh, (laughs) Now I've got two of these force wheels and I got to figure out what to do with them. Um, I had plenty of reason between my Amanos and the first force of will to be trying to figure out buy listing in Japan uh, this fall. Now I've got even more reason. So that will definitely be a project. Uh, my big deal this week was I got excited that I saved like 300 bucks on a phone. So we're all winning this week, James. So is this your new, your new cell phone? Yeah. So what are you getting? Uh, I have an S20 now. Mm-hmm. Do you like it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I very much disliked the old Galaxy line the, the over the last few years because they put that curved, that edge screen on it. I don't know sure, if you sure. use Android yeah, or yeah, not, yeah. but it makes it um, much more vulnerable to cracking. I had like five cell phones, and this is the first, that was the first one I ever shattered. Uh, but they got rid of that in these ones. So, hey, look, it seems, it seems good so far. It's just another Galaxy. If you know what they are, they're exactly what you would expect, but... I feel like I dropped my Pixel 2 in its relatively modest case at least four times a week. Wow. And uh, have yet to even put a crack in it. It yeah. is... I I think the Pixel 2 might be my favorite personal electronics device ever. I, I can't think of... Like, it's either that or, like, the original Sony yellow Walkman from the 80s. <laughs> my wife has a Pixel, and it, that has a flat screen, just like the iPhones do. And that, um, I like that design much more. I think it's much more sturdy. Uh, there were a couple of minor features that drew me to the Galaxy over the Pixel. I don't remember what they were. But also, I don't give a shit about the camera, so that wasn't really a draw for me. It is interesting. We are so far off topic here, but it is interesting uh, if you look at cell phone reviews, how much weight the camera has in the discussion of them, which is funny because like 99% of people are just going to point their phone at their stupid child and click take a picture and never think about it. And it's like, I don't think most people care about six cameras versus five and all of this stuff. It's just like, as long as the pictures look decent, who cares? It is nice on the modern cameras that you now have the uh, portrait mode that's going to blur out the background yes. and provide and provide a semi-professional feel even for the moder- people that have a moderate um, talent. <laughs> if, you, if, you have a, if you have a modicum of, of aesthetic spark, you can usually pull off a pretty solid photo that way. Definitely. And that's, I actually think that's one of the, that's like the exception to the rule. Like that's one of the things they added where it's like, okay, this is something that people will like because it gives you very good looking photos for no effort. But, you know, they talk about so much detail in the cameras and the reviews and like kind of skim over everything else. And I'm like, see everything else that I would imagine most people care about. 
But uh, I have whole rants about cell phones. I'm sure nobody could care, possibly care any less about them. But <laughs> I think I do think that uh, cell phones are really poorly designed for what they are, the form factor. But whatever. Let's uh, let's kick things off here. We gotta. Why didn't we didn't even finish this intro, did we? We were. I'm supposed to say to you, hey. What's happening this week on MTG Fast Finance? Well, wait, you didn't do our cool stuff pro t- plug, yeah, I did. right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you I did do the cool stuff plug. Okay. Uh, well, this week uh, we're gonna chat about cell phones and VIP packs and all that good stuff, and then eventually we'll get to segment one, which is our MTGO metagame week interview. Segment two is our top paper movers, and then segment two and a half is our top moto movers. Segment three, our paper cards to watch. James and I will go through the cards that we think have the best outlook here. And segment four, our topic of the week, we are having Jason Alt on to talk about Zendikar, uh, a set that is currently legal in all formats, but might not be by the time I finish editing this tomorrow afternoon. So <laughs> let's... I, I think they said that they're not going to ban anything until Monday because they're going to let the weekend tournaments go down. Yeah. Um, but it does s- smell distinctly like Uro is about to get kicked to the curb. Yeah, that is uh, absolutely wild. I re- I really need to go back and listen through our uh, Theros set review because I'm pretty sure I was hot on Uro. Pretty sure. I I don't think anybody was cold on Uro. Uro was right, flagged right. pretty early on as being ridiculous. Um. The and it's been nothing but <laughs> ever I, since. I, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I I just curious to hear what I had to say. I wanna I wanna run the tape back, but I'm, I, I, I'm most curious to go back and listen to what we said about it in modern, because I, I'm not I'm not convinced we saw that it was at that power level. Probably not. Anyway, moving right along, we've got uh, if we're looking. At the metagame week in review, fresh cards from Zendikar Rising have made their way into the constructed format, so there is new fancy stuff to go over. We've got a green-red aggro deck leading the field in the Pioneer uh, Challenge that went down, I believe, on the 21st. And the green-red aggro deck featured uh, a whole bunch of basically green-red aggressive creatures lanawar elves you got two ember cleaves in there and i guess the most notable inclusion from zendikar is four crag crown pathway so we got a winning deck week one in pioneer using four of the appropriate pathways and the pathways are the rare dual lands yep the ones you said were not very good okay okay whatever so, not, he, not they, they, that doesn't mean that much <laughs> It, and and you'll see as we get into over in modern, they don't really make an appearance at all. So there is that. Second place in in this league was Jeskai Yorion Planeswalker Control. We've seen variations of this multiple times in Pioneer recently. Probably the biggest two uh, outtakes from that is that it's using four times Rogrin Triome. So that's the Jeskai Triome uh, being used to full effect, and four times Luca Coppercoat Outcast out of Ikoria. So that Planeswalker doing a pretty solid amount of work. I would imagine that if, if it, we weren't in a, the year dominated by COVID troubles, uh, Luca might have made some headway. Yeah, I seem to recall... Hold on, let me, let me take a quick peek here, just a double check. Uh, 
Yeah, I seem to recall liking this one and getting told that it wasn't. I think it was Dan we had on who said he didn't think it was going to be that good. It ended up being a lot better, I think, than any of us anticipated. Um, and I agree with you that it seems like in another in an alternate universe, this might have had uh, a real good run. Yeah, third place, five color and visit. That's uh, we, we've you've spoken uh, before on cast about how one of the features of this five color and visit deck is that because they are you know via vis a vis bring to light making use of whatever the hottest new gold cards are at any given time, they're going to pull in whatever fits under that banner. And this week, that means they're running two times Omnath in here now, which is pretty gross. Hmm. <clears throat> and that's the Omnath from Zenikar 3, Yeah, the one right? that's trampling all over every format currently. Locusts of Creation. Because yeah. we, had, we had Mana, Rage, Royal, and now Creation. In fourth place, we have a black-white auras build. They're running four branch loft pathways, so more pathways in Pioneer. Five in fifth place is Bant Spirits with four Skyclave Apparition, a card we will see on the Magic Online Hot Movers as a result. The sixth place black-white auras deck does not run the pathways. I'm guessing they're just a little behind on the tech there. And uh, we've got Teamer Value Creatures in 7th place. This is a, a fairly interesting looking build. Uh, f- 3 times Uro, 3 Kozilix Return, and 4 times Ketria uh, Triome. But it's like Arboreal Grazers, Cavalier of Thorns, Champion of Wits, Corsair of Crufix, 4 Elder Deep Fiend. So that Deep Fiend tech from a few years mm. back coming back to light. Two Fierce Empath, a Jade Light Ranger, Llanowar Visionary, Nimble Obstructionist, Seder Wayfinder, Scavenging Ooze, the Uros, and a World Breaker. This is just 30 value creatures. It's weird that Elder Deep Fiend was a couple years ago. Yeah. More than a couple, really. That's... I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that. So, eight. this is a fairly interesting deck. And then Black Aggro, this is the uh, Rankle version, not the Vampire version, in 8th. Oh, yeah. I like the Rankle. The Rankle was my pick a while ago, and I got excited when I saw people talking about it again. I had picked the uh, the border, foil borderless ones. But I don't remember what price I picked them at, so I don't know if they made you any money yet. But I do remember talking about it. So, moving right along to modern, we have the blue-red prowess deck uh, crushing it in, up into first place. In, most interesting in, in this list is four bone crusher giant making an appearance in modern. Makes me want to check on how many of the foil showcase versions of bone crusher are left, given that it is a, a force in standard pioneer and modern. Mm-hmm. Um, Bone, Bone Crusher stock is probably very high in standard right now relative to where it may be in four days. Why do you say that? Uh, I mean, given that ramp just looks... So, so, I mean, it's uh, they're not going to ban anything from Zendikar, I guess. Which, oh, <laughs> who knows? But uh, I know that it's very good at shooting Lotus Cobra and things of that nature. And if you get rid of the ramp strategy, it gets worse, but maybe still ends up finding utility regardless. It is basically the most flexible shock in the format, I think. So if if Uro gets the boot, I'm not sure ramp's dead so much as weakened to the extent that they don't have Uro. 
Yeah, it depends on on how hard they want to swing that hammer. I can imagine them going with a lighter touch this time, all things considered. Um, but we'll see. Bone Crusher showcase foils, for the record, currently sitting around four bucks, and ramp relatively hard up to ten. Could take some time to drain out, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if we just miss this for a while and and put our heads down, pull them back up in a year, and these are all ten to fifteen with like six listings left. Yeah, yeah. If your angle is um, extend extended formats, anyways. Season Pyromancer, four copies in that blue red prowess list as well, and then in second place, yeah. uh, a Jund list that has four Liliana of the Veil back in full effect, three uh, red and six, and then uh, most notable four Luris. Uh, that caught me by surprise, and I was wondering whether the deck list was incorrect, because it seems <laughs> like one of those Luris should be in the sideboard, right? Uh, you... Cow, hold on. Oh, What's his rule tax? I say, I don't think you can, right? Because it doesn't his rule tax preclude having him in the main? No, he. you can have him in the main, but you wouldn't be able to have any, th- any permanence... Uh, that were three or greater, right? I thought it was two. Uh, see, I, we refuse to look up cars when we talk about them. He is two or less. So yeah, Luris cannot be main if he's your command, uh, your companion. So I'm just a little commander. fascinating then that there are four Luris in the main, and the value engine they're building out of that is to bring back things like Tarmogoyf and Croxa and Dark Confidant and Renin Six, and uh mishra's baubles and seal of fire which is why somebody was asking the discord earlier this week why is seal of fire on the move again uh the special versions and the answer is definitely lurus well i you know i to be fair if you think about it dark confidant is two mana and on your upkeep draws you a card and loses you life which is uh might not be the great you know he's definitely fallen out of favor but for a very long time was the the premier black two drop and still sort of is um luris is one extra mana but he he's essentially drawing you that card every turn as long as you do a little bit of work to let him he doesn't cost you any life to do it and he pays for the card as well like he gives you that mana too um so i mean if you jump through the hoops he is a significantly better dark confidant yeah, this is this is an interesting evolution of this deck, mm-hmm. um, and and had me looking immediately at how many foil extended arts of Luris are left. I'm pretty sure we called this earlier this year, and sure enough, there are just nine listings left on TCG Player, starting at around 32, pushing up to 60. These are going to be pricey fast. Yeah, I think that was definitely your pick, and it was a good one for sure. I remember. I remember it, uh, and again, I'm just saying, citing myself, but I'm hardly the only person who had this thought, thinking that Luris was probably one of the best position ones to be played as a non-companion, just like as a card. Like, I wonder if this is good enough because uh, that ability does some good work for you um, if you're willing to slow down a little to pay three mana for him. Yeah, so... Looks like it is. What's the next card list here? That is your blue-white spirits or possibly your Ponza. Yep, so blue-white spirits and green-red Ponza making appearances in third and fourth. Three Clothis in the green-red Ponza list. Ad nauseum in fifth and seventh position. Interesting. 
Hmm. Uh, enough, we saw that last week as well. It'll pop up in the top eight. A green Tron list. Tron basically ever present in modern. Four Karn liberated. Four Karn the great creator in that one. And then probably the most interesting uh, modern list here, other than the Jund with four Luris, is Black White Death Shadow, with four Ranger Captain of Eos uh, ranking in the top eight. Only eighth place for now, but it'd be very curious to see if they keep making appearances moving forward. Yeah. Uh, Modern Horizons, both Citizen Pyromancer and Ranger Captain of Eos have been consistent in the format since they were printed, basically. Uh, So without being warping, I guess. So at the very least, they hit their target with those. For a while, we didn't see, definitely were not seeing black-white Death Shadow. And with Giver of Runes, Gurmag Angler, a Hex Parasite, four Ranger Captain, four Street Wraith, four Tide Hollow Sculler, which was more of a kind of uh, old-timey black-white, what's the name for this? I have this deck built. Death and Taxes. Yeah, Death and Taxes kind of group. uh, Uh, I I guess I had Eldrazi and Taxes built. Yeah, that's um, been sitting in the closet for a couple of years now. And uh, cling to dust; those foils I've called out uh, as draining pretty hard to the pro traders recently. Fatal pushes, Coligan's commands. There's a little red splash in here for the Coligan's commands. The teamer battle rages, and one Angrath's rampage. Two path to exile, four Mishra's bobble to finish that one off. Okay, uh, interesting that we're getting this much ad nauseum, and again in the previous weeks too, especially since it's been so quiet for a while. Um, I actually, and I know this because I bought a giant pile of ad nauseums and a while ago and was kind of camped out on them. And they, it was like two or three years and they hadn't really moved. And finally I got a little spooked and shipped them. Uh, and of course ad nauseum took off like three months later. Uh, I, I'm, I kind of want, I would have to talk to a modern expert to know what changed that that's suddenly much more viable than it had been. Yeah. I mean, there's been so much shifting going on in, in this format <laughs> with the power that the extreme power level of the cards that have been introduced in the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a little surprising that ad nauseum ended up the best non-interactive combo deck. I would not have guessed that. Well, I mean, the, the thing that they gained this year, of course, was Thassa's Oracle. Uh, yes. Are they, oh, so they are playing that? I don't know. I don't know if I actually looked at the list. Yeah, indeed. In, okay. In both versions. Hmm. Okay. I just see ad nauseum. My eyes glaze over. Yeah, three Thassa's Oracle in the seventh place list and in the fifth place, same thing. They're, they're... Okay. Yeah, and okay. Now you say that, I do kind of remember talking about this. All right, you got any anything else to say on this before we move on to uh, segment two? Nope, all good. Take us on into top paper movers. All right, so uh, we are oh, yeah huh. we are going to start the week with uh, oh you threw this on here huh? Wait. Oh okay. <laughs> I you added a card at the bottom. I was making sense of it. Uh, the masterpiece soul ring. You say as moving from four seventy five to five seventy five. Um, inventory is basically nothing. Uh, am I still the only person with a copy on TCG? Did you look? I didn't look today, but I'm looking right now. Uh, two of you now. 
You're at 648.88 ambitiously, and the person right below you, Paradox CNC, is at 599.99. Yeah. So there are two copies of this card available. And it was only one for like a week, possibly more. Um, Yeah, this card has been on the move. I've sold two, two maybe in the last month, which is a lot for this card. Um, And the first one was at like 500 or 510. And then the other one went at, sold at 580. So it is moving. People want it. And it looks like the supply is basically dead. So on September 13th, I ran a survey on Twitter, 297 votes. What will the price be of this card, Masterpiece Invention Soul Ring, November 2021? The majority opinion from 39% of people would be that was that it was 300 to 399. Hmm. 23% of people said 400 to 499, 17% said 500 to 599, and 20% said 599 plus. So, week later, here we are with two dudes on on TCG Player dueling over whether it's going to sell close to 600. Well, I don't don't feel like the majority of the Magic players, even the ones that are clearly biased towards MGG Finance that follow my Twitter stream, really understand what's going on with these premium cards. I mean, I'm not even clear. I fully understand it. Well, I mean, here's the old chestnut that I think is being challenged here, which is worth people paying attention to and continuing to track over time. Do new premium versions of extremely high-level staples push the price of previous staples down? Or, as is my current theory, are they not actual true replacement goods? What the, the theory I'm operating off of is that for instance, with the printing of uh, foil box topper mana crypts in both English and Japanese, Chinese as well, uh, for VIP boosters, there is a lull where attention could be pulled away from previous version, premium versions of Soul Ring for some people, especially if they prefer the new art or the new treatment. But at the exact same time, it's also also just reminding people that this card exists. And when they're searching for this card, looking for the, the uh, foil borderless, they happen to come upon the judge foil and the masterpiece invention and so forth and so on. And they might at that moment decide, you know what, I like this other one better. So just the spotlight being on the card might be a rising tide floats all boats kind of situation where even if net-net most of the focus is on the new version for a while, especially if it's significantly cheaper in the market, eventually all of these things just drain out to nothing if they don't catch a specific reprint. And so far, with things like Expeditions 2, Wizards is signaling that they're not super excited to reprint as is you know we didn't get expeditions with exactly the same art and treatment as the first time we got similar treatment with new art a non-foil version and a rotation in terms of which cards were included and i would imagine that as we mentioned last week or the week before when they get back around to inventions which they almost surely will could be any time in the next 18 months 
maybe that uh, Hogwarts ripoff set or Kaldheim or something we haven't seen yet will be a good time to reintroduce in- inventions. Could be a return to Mirrodin. Um, bottom line, we're, we're going to get inventions again, but it, it'll, it'll rotate a bunch of the cards out. Some of them will catch a reprint. Mana Vault or Soul Ring or Mana Crypt or whatever. But in the meantime, people are marching along, buying copy after copy of the older versions, and they just disappear. Mm-hmm. And if they never go back and give us that exact Soul Ring, then you know you and this other person on TCG Player don't need, don't really care whether sixty five percent of Magic players don't believe that price point is valid. All you care about is if there's one dude like my dad that's going to wander by and go, you know what? I better snag this now before I can't get it again. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's been my philosophy with this is. I don't mind being slow because I'm making decent money on each copy I sell. Um, and I've basically outlasted the market. Uh, yeah, I don't, we, we've talked about that a while and I felt like we've never had really good proof that, you know, these cards could kind of weather the storm as it were. Um, but it certainly seems that way. I feel like it's proven to be true more than it isn't. Um, I, I think there's probably a limit to that. I think that at a certain point, it might not crush the price. Like, I don't think MPS Soul Ring is going to drop to $200 because I print a cool treatment of it. But I do think that enough cool treatments could be what does it, especially ones that look good. Um, I, I, I think cool treatment per year makes it a lot harder for them to drain out because if you do that for enough years in a row, you don't have none of them ever drain out because the 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 demand is spread over the various versions for a long time um and it gets worse the more years in a row you do it and it would be one thing if this was like the mutavault promo which was only released in one country uh because of like a supply issue or shipping issue and has a super short supply and even if they printed a bunch of cool mutavolts that mutavolt is still kind of like something cool it has like like a story attached to it or you know a, a super original version for which there's very few copies that you know the masterpiece soul ring isn't special in that it's it's just an expedition that they printed that looks decent and had low run but there's nothing else going for it so even though the card costs a lot if they printed a premium version of soul ring every year it's not like the invention one would have anything over it over the zendikar copy and the dungeons and dragons copy and you know the other copies that all have their own cool treatment it might be rare but people not in any way that people care so here's something you can take a look at on TCG if you're if you're a seller like Travis. Check out what the last sold price is for Invention Mana Crypt. And compare mm-hmm. that to the fact that there are currently 65 listings for the foil box topper version out of the VIP packs, which is less than two months old, including the gaming company anchoring with a huge wall of 61 copies at $182. 61 foil box toppers. Border, border box topper mana crypts. So the gaming company is like a 50,000 plus sales vendor on TCG, one of the biggest. And they clearly did a mass cracking of VIPs because they have massive walls put up for a whole bunch of cards. <laughs> it's going to take the market a while to chew through those. Um, and people are going to be motivated to post below their price constantly if they're smart because 
this guy that's at 182.14 with the gaming company right below him at 182.13 with 61 copies isn't going to sell a copy. Yeah, you know, you don't you don't want to try and wait out a 60 copy sell wall <laughs> of a $200 card. Yeah, that seems like you're going to be waiting for quite some time. Although that is interesting because you do wonder, like, uh, so once these sell, is that just the entire market? Because like, it's the entire liquid market as this guy. Well, I mean, the the point I'm ultimately making is that there was, dis- you know, pro traders in Discord back when the list for the VIP box topper foils was released being like, oh my gosh, should I go sell my Invention Mana Crypt right now? And it's like, the panic sell stream doesn't hasn't presented itself. There are five listings. There's literally five copies. There's two copies of the Soul Ring, and there's five copies of the Mana Crypt, despite it just getting another premium version, and a nice one at that, uh, that range from 530 to 850. You got a real, you know, Limitless Games is going for the $850 Invention Mana Crypt sale. So worth keeping your eye on last solds for those because if those sell you know don't sell at 550 but they are selling at 499 or 475 while there's this massive wall at 182 it demonstrates that they are not replacement goods mm-hmm. they are unique they are unique collectibles that happen to be of the same cart yeah uh it's an interesting investigation here mm-hmm. um and it seems to be pointing to the fact that they are not replacement at least with within some amount of bounding i guess is how i would say it for some people any version of a soul ring is a pure replacement good against all premium versions because they just don't buy premium either they can't afford it or they think it's silly whatever their reasoning they're going to buy the $2 soul ring all day, every day. They've got 20 decks. They just put the simplest soul ring. Maybe they don't like foils in their EDH decks or whatever. So none of these versions matter to them. But for the whale market, the collector market, people like my dad, they buy one of every copy. So if Wizards puts them out every six months, yes, people like my dad will get frustrated and grumble about how they, there's so much stuff they got to keep up with, but they still buy it. <laughs> they're still completionists and there are also and then there are players who are whales who have the money to spend on this stuff and might have a preference they might like the new art or the old art or the judge foil or whatever and they might buy multiple copies of that and ignore all others and then there, there's people like me who acquire them through collection buys or crack jobs or whatever along the way and i end up having one you know some copies we buy from group buys that I sell through, and then I have some copies that I you know, put in my best decks and whatever. Maybe I sell those later when they get ridiculous. There's a bunch of different angles on this stuff in the market, and it's very reductionist to think that you know, just because we're going to get multiple premium versions of all of these you know, S-tier staples for EDH over the next five years means that they're all going to crash to the the ground that just doesn't seem to be the case yeah the, at the very least i think we can agree that that this is is unlikely to be true wizard seems to have an understanding that they're they are walking a tightrope with this stuff and i i think that they will push it further they will experiment with pushing it but they have we've talked also about how as time goes on with magic you just have more and more super staples you you have more and more cards that 
matter to, especially now that they've successfully navigated the murky waters on over to EDH is where it's at. Like this is the most important magic format. And wow, is that ever good for them? Because now people don't just have one 60 card deck for modern. They have, you know, 1200 card decks for EDH. So, and a lot of those decks require the, you know, you can have a soul ring in every deck, et cetera, et cetera. So just worth people paying attention to see Keep an eye out for whatever big ticket thing shows up in Commander Legends and see what it does to the old versions of premium versions of that card. Whatever that might be. Mana Vault's a prob- probably a pretty good candidate this time around. Uh, yeah, that one for sure. Uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating how this is all working out. Um, well, it All good points, and I am glad I own some another Soul Ring or two. <laughs> uh pack foil rings of bright earth out of lorwyn 70 up to like i don't know 180 ish i think someone one guy in tc2 player has one at 130 there's some at, but then they're at 180 none of them have sold at that price so it's whatever it sticks at i i presume it'll be in that 130 range yeah i can buy that following that is omnath locus of creation non-foils out of zendikar rising uh, 14 to 40 for a nice big jump there of $25, um, 180%. But uh, this is on the back of him coming out and looking real strong and standard. Uh, very popular in EDH too, but standard being the big driving factor. This is not, I mean, these aren't really real prices because this is a street date on this is actually Friday, right? Like it's not even released yet. So. And which calls into question who is going nuts buying paper standard cards in America where you can't play them. So these, this is just sort of any meaningless because I don't know why anyone would pay for this. Well, keep in mind that there's going to be some arbitrage flow overseas because overseas people are more able to play tournaments right now. And uh, although <laughs> I still think it's pretty dubious as to whether that will stay the case heading into the fall, given that, you know, for instance, here in Ontario, things were looking really good on COVID four to six weeks ago. People were bragging two weeks ago about how we had zero deaths, but that was dated data. And here we are spiking hard again because everybody's back at school. Yeah. So, uh, and I think a lot of the world's going to be in a, in a very similar position there. The... That said, Omnath isn't just about standard. He's also a pioneer and a modern card and uh, the top commander uh, out of the set. So there is plenty of demand for the card. Um, And I'm not surprised to see him spiking early, given that we know that there are supply chain issues manifesting for Zendikar Rising, where heading into release weekend this weekend, a lot of vendors are not going to get all the product that they were hoping to have in hand. Um, We know that collector boosters and set boosters are going to be delayed in many areas of the world, uh, including large portions of North America. So that is all a recipe for whatever your top five cards are to spike real hard. Yeah. I, I mean, that kind of makes sense. I just, you know, I, I hope nobody is out there buying, Omnaths for standard. Let's put it that way. Because you are going to be real bummed if that is the case. Since card, some of those cards might end up banned and might make this not good. And also, where are you going to play it anyways? Sure. 
uh, Reverberations, uh, Reverberation out of Legends is showing up here. And this is kind of a stand-in for several Legends cards that I didn't bother to put on the list. This is just one of them. Uh, 17 to 52, Reserve List card, absolutely awful. But people are going to buy Reserve List cards and hope to get lucky. We've been down this road a million times before. So just know that it happened again. Um, following that, Flagstones of Trocair, there's the original Time Spiral printing and the Ultimate Masters printing and the foils jumped as well. The Ultimate Masters and Time Spiral versions, non-foil, both jumped from about four and change to $15, $16 uh, on the back of a green-white modern deck. And I'm on, which I, I missed this one, I guess. Did we, it didn't seem like it showed up in we our- We covered this last week, didn't we? Uh, no, I mean, I do vaguely remember talking about it. Hold on. It was two of the top eight last week in the modern champs qualifier. Uh, this okay. is the one that has like four times Dryad of the Elysian Grove, four times Eagle oh. Titan, four, four Elvish Reclaimer, four Eladon Call. Yeah. Yeah. That deck was kind of nifty. So people are thinking they're going to play this in modern. I, I, I have to stress, I think buying cards for non-EDH is kind of risky. Doesn't seem like the path I'd want to be going down right now. Seems loose on the surface, for sure. Yeah, it's not to say that, like, like because the thing is, you buy these flagstones of truck air, and the only people person you're going to sell this to is someone who's buying cards for their modern deck that doesn't know when they'll get to play them. So, like, those people exist... But there's not that many of them, probably. And on top of that, yeah, I don't know. Seems like it's going to be hard to sell those, and they might not be relevant by the time people are sitting in chairs playing this game again. Yep. I don't love it. I agree. So the next up on this list, we have, let's see, uh, Scoot Swarm. Big, big card in standard right now because people figured out that there's a mutate deck. Boy, am I excited about this. I have so many cool foil Japanese mutate cards that are in this deck that have just been sitting around that came out of my Coria collector boosters. And now I can build this mutate deck and put it into my deck collection. It'll actually be a, uh, a relevant uh, and interesting deck to have on hand for when I'm doing like random deck nights, um, chaos deck drafts or whatever somewhere in the next five years <laughs> who mm -hmm. knows who knows when that can be done again uh but scoot is really cute because if you mutate onto it and then copy it uh either with its own ability or a, a, a clone ability you clone the entire mutated creature not just the scoot swarm oh is that so, what this is yeah so you can mutate onto it a couple times with like migratory great horn or uh, the three four flyer that uh, draws a card, or the auspicious sterics that flips cards over and lets you put a permanent into play. And if you've got X number of lands, I think it's is it five or six on Scoot Swarm? I can't remember off the top of my head. Pro, a pro, five, I want to say. That would mirror the old one. Uh, six, let's see. six lands. Six lands. I'm disappointed in you. Yeah, not so you, you, James Wizards, because the old one was five lands. You start getting copies of it, <laughs> um, 
fairly early on in this deck, and I did watch a, uh, about an hour's worth of YouTube video on it, and it did a lot of fun <laughs> things that would be worth taking to an FNM. It would be a nightmare to track this deck in paper because it makes all sorts of irregular copies of cards. Um, it's it's a wild, wild deck. Yeah, that would be disgusting to try and deal with. Oh my god. This is also a cool commander card long term. Uh, and I think it's going to get like a standard spike here. And then re- people are going to realize nobody's playing standard. And then it's going to drop through the floor. And then you probably want to look at the foil showcases a ways down the road. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I, the type of thing you're probably not going to come to for a while. Uh, and then the top mover in paper in theory here is recross the paths at a morning tie. Going from $0.50 cents to $5.00. Uh, this is on the back of it being used, I think, in the, the Goblin Char Belcher builds that can run zero lands at this point because of all the uh, flip spell lands out of Zendikar Rising. Yeah, I had to ask in our Discord because I saw Spike and I read it and I'm like, all right, so the gimmick is that you just play all dual flip lands. But to what end like i'm like yeah, that's the combo but to what end well that your belcher like, doesn't fizzle out well well right no i understand so then our discord's like oh char belcher wants it i'm like oh uh, okay kind of i'm still not sold on it i i i understand why people bought it not arguing with that not sold on it being good well recross the past was already in belcher builds like as early as like 2016 or something and now the really? Belcher builds are just significantly more consistent because they have this super convenient flip mechanic to leverage out of Zendikar Rising. So, huh. And this is a Morning Tide card that never got a reprint, as far as I know. I don't think I've ever seen this reprinted. Did it pop up in a Commander no, deck? it has no. not been reprinted, I don't think. Yeah, so I mean, again, how many Char Belcher builds are going to drive... Like, are you going to be able to exit from your 50 cents back to 450 here? I seriously doubt that, like, the cool stuff are card kingdom bylas are cooperating quite yet <laughs> so not ideal moving right along to top uh, magic online movers of the week we've got of course omnath locus of creation explosively going from like uh here we're saying 10 to 33 but the untold story here if you were tracking the pro trader uh magic online channel this weekend is that this actually got i think as high as either 50 or 60 tickets and people were able to short the card back down to 30, making money on the reverse trend line. Hmm. So this was getting so hot over the weekend. With rel- and, and the theory here goes that the shorts are getting better and better on Magic Online because more and more of the drafting is taking place on Arena. So with less drafting on Magic Online, but all of the modern and pioneer, like pioneer constructed, oh. you don't have the drafts in place to fuel the constructed demand. So anything that is immediately needed as a four of across multiple formats is going to spike super hard. And then eventually we'll get pulled back down to reality within 24 or 48 hours or whatever, but enjoys a, a healthy spike up front. So some very good money. <laughs> was made uh, by the people that were shorting Omnath this weekend. And anybody who pre-ordered the card in paper has an opportunity here to flip into the supply chain problems. So if you got you know copies at 10 or $15 in one of our early group buys, or you got them from you know uh, an early Star City game sale or something, then you're in a good position to sell. And, I, and sell I would be doing, because as you said, how much Paper Magic is actually going to get played? And yes, this is a multi-format card, it's going to be a, a presence in minimum EDH for ages. But 
if it's if you got a recent mythic that's already at forty dollars plus, sell, sell, sell. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's no way that that's sustainable in a healthy format. Yeah. So on the same basis, like the Scoot Swarm deck pushed Scoot Swarm from thirty-seven cents to a dollar twenty-eight. Uh, that's two hundred forty-five percent gains, which doesn't sound like a lot in paper terms, but on Magic Online uh, is is sexier. If you know, if you were able to throw some Omnaths in your cart and your some Scoot Swarms, um, well, I guess Omnath and Scoot Swarm wouldn't be in the same cart. But if you get multiple specs from the same set in the same cart at the right time, and you're cashing them all in together, then your overhead in terms of managing the cards makes the relatively small shifts, like a dollar per copy on paper, uh, a little bit more appealing. Scourge of the Skyclaves is showing up in modern Death Shadow decks uh, as a four of, and it's also a mythic. So you've got a similar thing there where it went from eight or nine bucks to over 30 where, where it's currently sitting. And it was also a short target over the weekend. Uh, Roiling Vortex, 34 cents to $1.62 for 376% gains uh, out of standard play. Escape to the Wilds, I think, has shown up in both standard and modern. Uh, hmm. Uh, so finishing up, we have Skyclave Apparition that showed up in both Standard and Pioneer top eight lists uh, in the last few days, going from a dollar to nine sixty, eight hundred percent gains if you picked these up early on before it caught on. Whew. that's a nice one. If you get like seven or eight tickets a copy, you're flying. Yeah, that is a ton of money. Yeah, such an easy, such an easy jump on that platform. All right, so moving on over to paper cards to watch this week. I guess I'll kick things off here. Here's a card you should go buy in Europe. Uh, you can still get copies of this in North America for a little bit more, but you're going to probably worth it if you're set up to buy on Magic Card Market, either through ProTrader or some other way. Uh, Idyllic Tutor Foil Extended Arts out of Theros Beyond Death have quietly been drying up. This is the best version of the card that's ever existed. It's in 15,000 plus decks reported on EDH Rec in the last couple of years. You can pick them up in Europe around 13, maybe 14 dollars, and I could easily see this beating the ramp in the next six to nine months and ending up 30 dollars plus. Yeah, I would have guessed that the extended art foils on this were way more than 13 dollars. If you had just asked me, Idyllic Tutor is a longtime EDH staple; it's not changing anytime soon. Um, and I haven't read through. I haven't thought through every pick yet this week, um, yours and mine included, but this is already probably my pick for pick of the week. Like uh, extended art foils for 13 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all about that. This one's just pretty simple. If you can, you might be able to find some copies underpriced by a few bucks in North America, but more of a Europe play. Okay. Well, there you go. That is a slam dunk. Um, I'm uh, starting this week. You know, our conversation last week uh, that led into looking at the extended art foils for the Scrylands um, out of M21 had me pondering. So I did a little more digging through M21 extended arts um, to see what I could find that looked underpriced. And the first one I found was Fabled Passage. Fabled Passage is in 25,000 EDA track decks. Uh, and remember, this first printing was a year ago, I believe. Um, I think Throne of Eldrain was the first place it came, was printed. Yep. So uh, that's having a real good run of it. Then on top of that, 
you can tell that it's popular because it's got way lower supply than many of the other foil showcase, I'm sorry, foil borderless cards out of M21 that I looked at. Um, so there's definitely some push on the inventory. There are reasonable supply on most of the M21 foil showcase stuff. I mean, it's not like there's three vendors or anything. Like I think Fabled Showcase or Fabled Passage had like 30 or 40 vendors. So it's on the higher side. But I would expect it to be at the moment. It's not the point in time where these should be super low. Uh, so these are slightly longer picks overall. But that card uh, is very popular in EDH. Um, the Throne of Eldrain foil borderless copy is like $45. Uh, so I think getting these at 20-ish bucks is just setting yourself up for a good spec in, you know, nine months to a year, year and a half, I think you're going to get real paid on these. So how deep is the inventory right now on these? I think there were like 30 to 40 vendors. Uh, where did I put that tab? 35 vendors. And it looks like everyone's are ones or twos. MTG Mint card has five, but that's they're pretty much the only ones with more than two. How steep's the ramp? Uh, at the moment, the pretty cheapest steep, copy... Actually. Yeah, the cheapest copy is 20 bucks. You hit 23 within two play sets, not even. Um, 25 relatively quickly. So from 20 to 25, it doesn't take long. This ramp's actually looking really tasty, and it's interesting that you flagged this now because had you mentioned it without me looking at this inventory data, I would have brushed it off as there's no way. There must be... I would have guessed there was 140 listings. I would have guessed... There was a real flat curve, but that's not what we're seeing here. Like, can't be have been that much core 21 uh, collector boosters opened because this is not a super deep result. This isn't even a mythic foil extended art. This is a rare. And there was yeah. tons of those, uh, like more of those per box for core 21 than there was in, say, Eldraine. So by all rights... You know, there should be 80 to 120 results right now. There's way less of these than, for instance, the foil box topper mythics for the most part out of uh, Double Masters. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I think the ramp here is steep enough that I think they're, you're going to get there pretty much on schedule. Some, somewhere within a year, 20 to 40, I think you're dead on. Yeah. I uh, What triggered what... what... What really caught my attention was I was browsing a couple of the foil showcases and I was like, okay, this is, uh, yeah, I had a feel for the supply and then I saw Fabled Passage. I'm like, oh, this one's way shorter than the other ones. Yep. So it's high now, but relatively in good position. All right. Uh, what do you got next for us? Woe Strider, foil extended art out of Theros Beyond Death. Not quite as sexy as Idyllic Tutor in terms of overall demand, but a card that has multi-format play. Super solid in EDH as a sacrifice outlet uh, that also provides a scry ability. Um, and the fact that you can work with this card from so many different angles, because when it comes into play, it makes a goat. If you sack a creature, you scry one. You can escape it, so you can basically bring it back in the same way as Uro or Croxa, by, uh, and its escape is four cards by paying five instead of three. And when it escapes, it comes back as a five, four. So you've got a recursive creature that provides a consistent sacrifice outlet and lets you scry. 
that's just super useful in EDH. So it's already showing up in like four or 5,000 decks on EDH rec and don't see them reprinting this particular card anytime soon. It was been printed within the last year. The foil extended art version, there's no way you're going to see an analog to this for years. It could be four, five, six, seven, eight years before this catches a reprint. And will they even be doing foil extended arts by that point? Who knows? Um, you can currently pick up copies in the five to $6 range. So a lot cheaper than the uh, idyllic tutors at the same rarity. And the curve up into the 15 to $20 range is not particularly long. There's actually less of these than there are the fabled passages since it's a six month older extended art foil rare. Uh, so to me, this is a unique card uh, with good art that is also shows up in Standard and Pioneer, and all of that adds up to a card that's going to be a gainer. I like this card quite a bit. Um, it's very good in EDH. It's going to show up in tons of places just as a useful value card. Um, and that price is six bucks for Foil Showcase is so low, right? Like that's just like so low. Um, which is an interesting aside that the uh, the influx of premium versions across the spectrum of Magic has really given players a lot of cool copies um, as a that to buy into to be able to get to given a lot of players access to cool copies for very cheap that they wouldn't have had otherwise. You know, it used to be that. You got the pack copy, and if you were looking to spend money, you got the foil copy, and those could get both get very expensive, and that was it. And now there's uh, a lot of different treatments available. It's easy for players to get and that's some, sometimes a cool conversion for cheap, like six dollar foil borderless is just it's just cool that that can exist on a, on a useful rare. But in any case, I do. I like this. I like the card. I think it's it's got good EDH chops. I think it's going to be, um, you know, another longer term pick, but definitely uh, going to get there for, for five, six bucks. Yep. All right. How about your next pick? Uh, I'm following up with, a, again, another M21 card. This time it's Vito, Thorn of the Dusk Rose. Foil showcase cards out of Magic 21. They're about $12 right now. Oh, you deleted my notes. Ah! <laughs> ah! Uh, Vito is... The supply is deeper here. He's at about 50 vendor copies compared to Fabled Passage, which was at 35. So a little more, but still in good shape. Um, like I said, 11 to 12 bucks for the foils. So the supply isn't shallow, but it's still decent. And I think Vito's going to end up a EDH staple. Like he's not going to be a commander that people play a lot of the times, but I think this card is going to be a mainstay. Like you see this in 15% of black decks or whatever, and it's just going to keep coming up because it does a lot of damage uh, pretty easily in any deck using life gain. Um, and the your creature's gain life gain trigger is very powerful. He's not he's easy to play. I just think he's going to be an enduring EDH staple. So this is a, a little longer term play. You know you're not going to see this turn around in six months. But I can see these twelve dollar extended arts hitting twenty five to thirty probably before the end of next year. I called this card in regular version, uh, I believe, while you were out. Because they were real, real cheap in Europe up front. And uh, Michael Caffrey from Tales of Adventure, uh, when I was talking about it on Twitter, pointed out that it was uh, 
reprinted in Jumpstart. But of course, Jumpstart <laughs> never really caught a jumpstart, and there isn't that much of that inventory actually floating around at present. Now, that might change over time through the rest of the year, but fact remains that Vito is both a vampire in a year of vampires and a cleric in a year of parties. So both of those things are relevant. It's already racked up 1,800 decks on EDH rec so far. Um, the gain life, opponents lose life, feature is kind of a mainstay of black edh play there are a bunch of cards that lean into that there's a bunch of black white cards that lean into that there's a bunch of vampires that can make use of that uh, it can give all of your team lifelink that can also be very helpful in edh and yeah i mean the the card the wh whether or not my basic spec is going to get there for a buy list play within the year i have plenty of confidence that cheap foil extended arts um, that i was picking up in europe like six weeks ago are definitely going to get there because I, I'd have to drag them up out of my unprocessed spec pile to figure out what, what we were paying on all this. But uh, I'm pretty sure I've bought them in multiple languages with confidence. Okay. Glad to know we're on the same page. Yeah. I mean, it is also not a card. I see them reprinting anytime soon. And you know, as a premium version of this card, again, it's similar to War Strider. It could be years and years. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. So yeah, I like that one just fine. What was the what's the ramp look like on the on the vetoes? They start twelve ish. Looks like we got to work longer. through like thirty or forty copies before we start to see any real motion. So people could probably yeah. take their time on this. I don't think they have to grab these tomorrow, but sometime in the next three months seems like a this great is, great time to be picking these up at this price. This is what I would call an old school spec where you actually have to spec on the card. You have to wait for a little while. Yeah, like it's not just free money. Yep. But those are still nice to have in the uh, in the inventory. And and what the fabled passage tells us is that a super staple foil extended art rare out of core twenty one, which again was thought to have uh, a very high drop rate for foil uh, rare extended arts, um, can get there, and. Vito isn't quite at the same level as Fabled Passage, but isn't far behind. And the theme across all four of our choices here is that foil extended arts are very well positioned to perform within a reasonable time frame. The mythics have moved the hardest, which makes the most sense. We've seen things like Nyx Bloom Ancient, the Great Henge, um, out of Core 21, Fiery Emancipation is probably the analog, um, all moving hot and heavy. And it takes the rare foil EA rares a little longer to get there, but they're set up to do good work and and very hard to, uh, or I guess much more immune to a reprinting than say a regular copy that can catch a major reprint in an ancillary product while it's still in standard. Um, somebody was pointing it, it made the point to me on Twitter today, something along the lines of, uh, how do you defend your Japanese VIP box opening when premium cards are uh, dead stock inventory? <laughs> and, and I was like, who the fuck is telling you that premium cards are dead stock inventory? I've sold like 30 grand worth of them during COVID and it probably has kept my sales alive. Whereas if I had had standard and pioneer inventory for the most part, I'd be in big trouble. Um you know, masterpieces, extended art foils, um, secret layer cards, mythic editions, um, collector booster boxes. All this stuff has done really well for stuff that's relatively new. 
and you know are our vip foil box toppers glutted on tcg player right now yeah but they should be like <laughs> this is peak supply people did mass crackings of 2000 vip boosters so yeah of course they're glutted right now but they're probably going to perform very similarly to what we saw happen with the ultimate masters box toppers which is that they drifted down over time for a while on average and then started to hollow out and drain out Mm -hmm. and you know that anybody who's expecting to be able to flip this kind of stuff instantly doesn't really understand what they're about like what they personally should be uh, or how they doesn't understand the methodology (laughs) by which you have to consider different kinds of specs the kind of thing that you're going to get in and out of really quickly is something like an Omnath, where it goes from people going, oh, that's a cool commander card, to holy shit, this is a multi-format staple in the course of three days on social media. And you have this... In the ma- course of three streams. <laughs> yeah, and you have this like massive spike as people realize the power of the card. And then all of a sudden people are calling for bannings. In fact, doubling back on that Escape to the Wilds, that's a major card in the Omnath builds in Standard. And... My loose talk about it interacting with flip lands, I think, is incorrect. I think it's just that it's a value card because Omnath vis-a-vis Lotus Cobra has access to so much mana during mm-hmm. their turns that they can make use of a bunch of those extra cards by casting them and getting further and further ahead. And, and you get a second land drop, right. which the lo- or a third. Yeah, I mean, that might not even be your of. second. You might have gone Fabled well, yeah. Passage, yeah. put in a second card, and then gotten the third trigger off Omnath via the Escape to the Wilds. Yeah. And, and you could do that with two lands and a Lotus Cobra. So the, um, you know, those Omnath spikes where the, the demand, the play pattern for the card changes abruptly over a short period of time. You, that's the kind of thing where if you can pick up copies cheap somewhere, you can, or you had copies earlier that you just happen to luck into that spike, you're going to be able to exit quickly. But stuff like, premium cards that start in plentiful supply and are priced by the expectations of the market. So say something like foil, box topper, mana crypt, that's a completely different kind of spec. Because when you and I were buying foil mana crypt uh, inventions, we weren't buying them at retail price in the US. We were buying cheap copies in Europe on the premise that at minimum, our worst case scenario was we could get out to at the buy list price. But mm-hmm. it was always planned on being a 6, 12, 18-month kind of hold, and that's what it ended up being in that first round. Now, as it turns out, a lot of those copies we sold too early. If I had held more of those soul rings till now, I'd be in a, a position that would have been worth waiting for. But it shouldn't surprise anybody when, you know, if you get in on some kind of premium product, you might have to hold it for 3, 6, 12, 18 months, and that's going to be a normal time frame. Because... Yeah, I mean, that used to be the standard. Sure. These super fast flips are sort of out of the ordinary. But they are, you know, to say that premium product doesn't, it isn't a effective <laughs> vendor strategy right now. It's just way, way, way off target because it's the people with the deeper pockets that have kept the hobby afloat this summer, uh, spring and summer, and are likely to continue to do so as this year goes from crazy to crazier coming up this fall. Mm-hmm. All right, what is your last pick? Speaking of VIPs, if you are a pro trader, or maybe you have some other contact that can hook you up, 
there are deals out there for VIP booster cases as low as 340 bucks. Like we've got a deal right now where as part of a group buy, there's two or three group buys we're running out right now on Zendikar collector boosters. And you can add on VIP booster cases at like 340 a case, which is like $85 booster pack. I'm finding it hard to believe that say a, a 12 to 18 months from now, VIP booster cases will not be going for something like 475, 499, you know, 125 a booster pack when even now a lot of retailers have them priced at 100 to 125. So this is mostly a pro trader deal but also a reason to become a pro trader this week. Get in there for, you know, 340. <laughs> at minimum if you're a collector you're getting them at rock bottom pricing. And if you're willing to sit on stuff for a while, that seems very reasonable to me. You could end up with 15 to 25% returns after fees and be just fine. Yeah, this is a, a super low effort, very stable choice. You're getting packs that are pretty much guaranteed to appreciate uh, for dirt cheap. And you don't have to like worry about the specs working or whatever. It's just like sealed product is, you know, the blue chip sort of, of magic collecting. Magic and the EV on these things is still holding relatively steady. So your worst case scenario here is that you're going to roll the dice and try to get yourself a foil English force of will or whatever. Yeah, sounds terrible. Um, I just wanted to put this last one on people's radar. Uh, I didn't. They weren't like pick picks, but I thought I should at least mention it. Um, as I was browsing the M21 stuff, I saw a couple other cards that, that caught my attention. The first is um, Cultivate, which also had the foil borderless showcase card. Um, now, stock on this is deep. There are 135 vendors on TCG Player, so this is not changing price in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but Cultivate is like, was it the most popular green card in EDH or close to it? Very popular card in, uh, in Commander. So definitely plenty of demand for this card in the past and going forward um and this is a type of card the the real fun thing about this is that people will buy multiples right like if i need cultivate i don't need one i probably need three or six or ten and if the foil showcases are four dollars maybe i'll buy a couple because they're not that much and i can put them in all my decks but in any case you're going to be sitting on these for a little while but it is the only borderless foil only borderless foil version of cultivate all the other cultivates are pretty stock looking they're not really anything exciting um so i really like that this is basically the coolest version of it uh at four or five bucks five bucks and the other card that fits into a similar vein is solemn simulacrum uh the border full arts on these are pretty cool uh these are also about five or six bucks also 125 vendors so deep supply obviously there's a couple of cool versions of solemn out there but Again, five or six bucks for these full art foils seems uh, like a pretty good bet on a much longer time frame. So too deep of inventory for me to go hog wild today, but put it on your radar. Maybe grab these as you're checking out for other stuff. I've got a whole stack of Japanese foil solemn simulacrums I imported from Japan this month. That's five or six bucks a piece. Ditto the cultivates. Mm. They look stunning in person. I have zero fear that I'll be able to get out of these down the road. Yeah, the, the, the biggest question, the question is when, not if. Yep. 
Okay, so now let's move over to segment four uh, with Jason Alt to talk about Zendikar, the re-Zendikarine. Mm-hmm. That's the name of the set. All right, we have secured one Mr. Jason Alt, uh, a man who I'm sure most of you are familiar with. He is on Brainstorm Brewery, and he writes for us, and he writes for some other websites, and... Manages EDH rack stuff and EDH rack. Anything else we should point point out here, Jason? No, that's uh, that's basically it. That's all I do for the magic community. He's also got it. He's also got a. I write for Cool Stuff Inc. That's the other site Travis was our sponsor. That's what he meant by other sites. I write the seventy five percent EDH deck building ethos, which um, is controversial. Controversial controversial what do people have against that uh i don't know man i don't think they like being told how to build and i said um that like you should be able to play with a casual deck or a competitive deck and the people who play cedh which is not edh it's a different format they're like you can't beat my turn two food chain deck i'm like whatever dude so (laughs) there was a lot of a lot of flack from those people that are like, when you say competitive, you can't beat a competitive deck. I'm gonna win on turn one. I'm like, that's cool. So, I got a lot of I got a lot of flack from people, but um, in the end, the important thing was I got a medium amount of money for those articles, and I think that's really what matters. You that that those decks were truly competitive in that regard. I I always find myself on a daily basis continually amazed at how dumb nerds are. It's not even that they're dumb, it's that they miss points that like should be obvious. It's just, it's sort of like, you know how Sherlock Holmes didn't know the planets in the solar system? And Watson's like, how the hell do you not know the solar the solar system? And he's like, I'm Sherlock Holmes. I have no time to memorize things I can look up in a book, but really I think it's just because he did a lot of cocaine. But still, like, I think there are blind spots for magic players. They're like, oh, I read a Frank Carson article about what percentage your deck thins as a result of cracking a fetch land, but like, I can't get satire. There's a, there's like if a, someone makes a, a satirical tweet, like I can't, I can't interface with it at there's all. There's a lot of very confident people <laughs> in the magic community or people that are not so confident, but masquerade as confident people. And it leads to a lot of very definitive statements that sometimes uh, reflect poorly on the deliverer down the road. So let's see how many of those we can make ourselves. Uh, I think we can all agree that uh, continuing the trends of 2020, the most important format by which to evaluate Zendikar Rising must be Commander, since it's the format people have the greatest uh, access to at present. Uh, All sorts of webcam EDH going on this year, including between the pro traders and and, uh, MTG Price staff. I've had the uh, pleasure of being, being beat down by... Approach of the Second Sun, I think not once but twice in, from the, in the hands of Jason Alt this summer. Yeah, because it was the Second Sun. I didn't want to win that way. <laughs> I just want to point out that I really wanted to make everybody swap permanents with any as the Gale Force, and then... Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think turn 15... James like, was like, but my like, deck has Wraths in it. You're, you're not keeping four creatures around. My deck has Wraths. So I was like, well, okay. Let's do this then. Approach of the Second Sun is like tapping your finger on your watch at the party to your like significant other (laughs) 
mm-hmm. from across the room. So it's totally fair. It's, on, it's on a white of, insurrection, yeah, right? On, on I love those spells that are like, hey, we played enough magic. Like the opposite of that. It's like the opposite of a cyclonic rift. The cyclonic rift is like, this game will take an extra half hour. And approach yeah. of the second sun's like, well. You have three turns. What do you say about game two? Yeah. All right. So let's let's jump right in here. Feed the swarm. Called out by uh, the command cast. Command zone? Command zone. Uh, as possibly the most important card in the set. Because it lets black get rid of enchantments. How do you feel about that, Jason? Uh, there was another black card that did it before. And, like, you paid life, too, I think. Um, I don't know. It's uh, the eighth most played card so far. So, like, people are clearly playing with it. Um, I don't know. Uh, Mono Black was using some creative artifact-based ways to deal with enchantments. And also, like, it's not that big a deal. Somebody else at the table can sometimes deal with it. I don't know how much this card will stay in decks, but also it's common. So, like... Do we think that there's money to be made on the foil? Well, one of the pro trader submissions for the the uh, pro trader pick, and uh, I declined most of them. Or, well, all of them. We didn't all of them. Didn't, didn't select one this week, <laughs> so I declined all of them. Um, although there was a couple that I was I was almost there, but we can double back on some of them next week, maybe. One of them was feed the swarm foils at three dollars, and I said A is probably going to get cheaper. B, it's a common. See, they'll, they'll reprint this card. Like ne- now that they have it, this this will not be a safe fo- foil to be holding for any period of time. And I could eat my words in a year when we this suddenly pops up as going from like three dollars to six forty eight or whatever. But it's still going to be a card you're selling onesie twosie of, and I'm not excited. It's a lot of foil commons these days. That foil drop rate with the fifty percent boost as of last year really hurts. Yeah, this. This seems very bad to me, like as a, as a an attempt to make money on. I, for all the reasons you stated. Yeah, I, I just I'm happy to stick with the extended art mythics that drain out in six months. Thing is, like in a decade ago, I could see trying to pull this off, um, but now that there's like so much more reprinting going on, um, and they're so much more conscious about this type of thing. It feels like trying to get cute with the foils is not going to work out for you. I mean, we do have stuff. Reprinting wouldn't even be necessary. Uh, look at Nissa's Pilgrimage, which is the number one most played. So they have the top 100 green cards. But outside of that, outside of like Cultivate and those sorceries, you know, um, outside of the top 100 most played green cards, which is probably about eight sorceries. So it's like maybe the ninth most played green sorcery. Nissa's Pilgrimage was foil in its original set, and there was an FNM foil promo of it. It's under a buck for the foils. Sure. And that's that's played way more than Feed the Swarm ever will be. Point made. Uh, how about Thieving Skydiver as a uber-flexible card that wouldn't do much in other formats, but lets you steal mana vaults and mana crypts and soul rings and whatevers for relatively little mana? Do you see this being uber-popular? I people argue with me on Twitter all day today about this card, so I'm starting to think maybe I'm just like super biased because I play Thought of Adele and Horn of uh, or Helm of Possession and crap like that. Um, Thieving Skydiver, I want to be bouncing it, so I built an Omnath deck where I bounce Omnath because otherwise he kind of sucks in EDH. But like if you bounce him and you just keep rebuying 
Um, you can go infinite with landfall with like ruin ghost or something like that. So I think if you're bouncing it, it's very good. But I think if you just play this for three and take their soul ring and they're the soul ring players no longer winning, I, th- I think it's quite good. Okay. So okay. I, I, it's the 16th most played card right now. Um, I don't think that's going to go to 50, but I don't think it's going to go to two. So I think this is just like a, Three bucks seems high for this. I mean, there's some lands. There's se. some lands in this set that seem like they're going to be ubiquitous once people realize that they're kind of free includes. So there's less slots available in the top fifteen for this set than there might be in other sets. But I could still see Skydiver holding steady near ten, top ten, um, just on the open-ended synergy <laughs> in a format where almost no matter what decks people bring to the table you're going to be facing things that are going to drop super low cast high impact artifacts early in the game where this is going to do work if this dies they don't get it back yeah that's and nice. if it's an equipment you would equip it i think that's like i was playing master thief before like i like aladdin i like taking their artifacts because if they're worth blowing up they're worth having for the most part unless it's like smokestacks and you're like it's my smokestacks now but for the most part any artifact worth blowing up is worth stealing instead. So I tend to play effects that, that take their stuff, and not a lot of them let you keep it if they blow up the thing. And it's also nice that it scales. It's not like, this could have been a card where it just said uh, gain control of target artifact two or less, and it would have been great in the early game, and less so as the game went on. Mm-hmm. But because it it's scalable, it's an X spell, essentially, you can... You rip this late, and it's a cage zone, yeah. and you're super happy with yeah. that. Yeah. You thought Adele never really getting too far, though. You know, that card, I feel like if this was that valuable, thought Adele probably would have been more expensive than it was. Thought is harder to use. Yeah, I thought it has to hit. I don't, I don't doubt that. I'm just thinking, like, I feel like bef- I agree that thought Adele is harder to use. She was the only choice for a long time and didn't really do much. Well, it's a, it's a big difference, though, that you have to connect in combat. This just comes into play, and, and she steals. doesn't deal with the board. Yeah, this, this this just comes into play and steals instantly, which is. I, I mean, I I appreciate that it's better. I'm not arguing that. It, it also has random text that we haven't even discussed yet. If it's an equipment that it steals, you attach it to the skydiver. So if it steals a lightning uh, uh, lightning greaves, then it's protected. And then you, if you've got bounce shenanigans or whatever, you can continue on your merry way. That my way is typically Mary. Yeah. All right. So Thieving Skydiver, I think it's going to be a good one. Foil Extended Art's not quite as cheap even in Europe as I'd like them. I think they're about 15 right now over there. And I want these to get lower. But They will. And under get 10, low, I'm all in for sure. Um, all right. Let's talk. About- I just like I want these for personal use. Like I... I... I realize I don't play the EDH the same way everybody does, so that's why I like to use data, because otherwise I'd be writing articles like, Thieving Skydiver is the best card in the set. Which is what I said in my 75% review, and I, like, meant it, but, like, it's not the best card in the set, so... Let me put it this way. People think it's top 20 anyway, and I like Let that. me put it this way. I think I think for sure it's going to pass Omnath. Because Omnath is the flavor of the moment... But it's a four-color card. So even if Omnath posts up in the top 20 commanders of all time and stays there for a while, 
that other the number of other decks that will run it is probably relatively limited compared to how many decks Skydiver will slot into, where it's just a good value creature to slot into anything that's a blue deck. I think every five color deck, once on math, because I, I don't know, you're running fetches in those decks, right? Sure. So, is there still even that many? But I, I like I agree with James, even if. I really like Omnath, and I said this is the commander to beat this set, and I think he'll remain very popular. But even still, I can see fewer total copies on card tables than Deviant Skydiver. Well, the number one built commander in the past week is Golos. Number three is Kenrith. Number five is Omnath, a uh, four color. Uh, number eight is Sisse. And that, that's it. But that's like a bunch in the um in the the top 10 of the last week sure so in the p- past month Najila is in the uh top 20 blade blossom also mm-hmm. yeah so um i don't know uh golos is number three of, of the last two years so like kenrith is in the top 10 in the last three years so ur dragon is in the top 20 in the last three years so like Maybe there aren't a ton of the five color decks, but every time something comes along that like slots into these decks, people rebuild their deck or they update it on Architect and then it gets scraped again and it gets thrown in the oh, this is built a lot the last week just because it got a good card. So then people see that and they're like, oh, people are still building Kenrith, I see. Huh. I suppose there is the sneaky angle with Omnath that EDH decks in general just have a higher than average. Uh set of land drops per game and more time mm-hmm. to gain benefit from that and omnath obviously shines best in some updated version of the deck you tabled against me recently where you're focusing on the lands matter stuff but even in just a regular five cover good stuff build you can get tons of value out of omnath i suppose that was my other omnath deck that i liked a lot so um yeah um like your ability to play lands out of your graveyard. Um, so you play a fetch, crack a fetch, and then you can play an extra land. So you play the fetch back out of your graveyard. It's not super difficult to trigger an Omnath three times. Fair. All right. It's even fairly trivial to do it on their turn sometimes. Hmm. All right. So let's talk about the two big, dumb green creatures in this set, both of, both of which are mythics. And it's a little weird to me because even the art is similar enough that I think people are going to confuse these cards. Uh, Ancient Green Warden is the non-legendary elemental for 4 and 2 green, 5-7 reach. You may play lands from your graveyard, so it's a walking crucible of worlds. And if a land entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, the ability triggers an additional time. (laughs) That works nicely with Omnath. And the lands themselves. I don't think people realize that you could be doing this with like Bajuka Bug or Helmar Depths or stuff like that. Sure. So like a hideaway like, land, you get to hideaway twice? I am not a judge, but sure, maybe. Just like anytime someone asks me a question on a podcast, I never go read the card before I say sure. So uh, I don't know. I would think so. Hideaway is a play. Ju- uh, enters the battlefield trigger, I'm pretty sure. Um, so yeah, this card, Jason? Uh, number three right now. In 20% of all the green decks built since this set was legal. One in every five green containing decks built 
since this set was legal. Contains Ancient Green Warden. I don't know if that will stick, but this is a landfall set. People are doing landfall stuff. If you're doing landfall stuff, you want an Ancient Green Warden. It does two things that you need. It lets you play fetches out of your graveyard, which gives you two landfall triggers, and then it gives you four landfall triggers. I, there's no way this will keep 20% once people stop building landfall commanders, but that doesn't mean the card's not going to be useful. Sort of a, probably a tier two staple, I would imagine, for green. I don't. There are so many six mana green things. Yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, one thing that I would, uh, I, I probably wouldn't cut the six drop in my um, any deck with um, Vanifar or like a Birthing Pod Chain because you want something that comes into play and gets you an ability, and then you just sack it to go get your. Um, uh, Avengers Endicar. So this doesn't necessarily replace something like Green Warden of Marasa in some of those decks. So that's that's something to consider too. It's not necessarily better my, in all of those in all those situations. My, you know, my technique for building EDH decks was oh, I'm going to build this commander, and then I go to the EDH truck page and I go, oh, that like I scroll through it and I pick out the cards that feel like they're very important in the deck and. Uh, Depending on what I'm building, this would be one of them. I would just be like, oh, yeah, I have to have this card in the deck. Well, if you're building Phylath or Omnath or, I don't know, maybe well, that's it this set. But like, I mean, you could be building Tatiova, Lord Windgrace, Azusa, sure. yeah. Gitrog Monster, Yarok the Desecrated, if you've got a whole bunch of lands that comes into play abilities. like There's a whole bunch of decks over time that are going to care about this stuff. Plus what's ever in Commander Legends, because this could just be a card that's like, oh, it's whatever now. And then they're like, no, we anticipated this. And then there's just a nuts lands matters. <laughs> Commander Legends might end up in a sidebar, could easily end up being one of the biggest gold mines for MTG Finance of all time. Not because of a whole bunch of other things about the set, but from the singular angle that with the total number of new commanders and commander cards that are going to be in this set all dropping at once no one's gonna have yeah. any idea how that's gonna suss out six months later and it's everyone's just gonna be like i think i need this now everyone's gonna be like why are people playing soul devi excavations it's like well <laughs> somebody made a video like it's it's gonna be it's well, gonna be pretty chaotic <laughs> it's gonna be all over the map you're just gonna see like everything's gonna be in 20 decks so well, an EDH wreck's going to be a shambles too because we are we have spent the last two months preparing for fifteen hundred new partner combinations. <laughs> yeah, that's great. We've decided any that any that it shows up in five or fewer decks, we are not going to display. So it'll probably oh, be two hundred new combinations. Because wow. if people aren't building it, we're not going to make a page for it. Right. Ooh, I dislike that. I I forgot all the partner combos. I want you to be a source of truth. <laughs> All right. So the other big gr dumb green monster, a Shia soul of the wild. This one's a legendary elemental three double green uh, star star for power and toughness. Power and toughness are equal to the number of lands you control. And the important text here, non-token creatures you control are forest lands in addition to their other types. So all of a sudden your uh, creatures are all forests, but anything that, destroys everything all non-land things would not destroy your creatures that's interesting queer and ranger bounces itself now 
<laughs> that's cute. That's super cute. Oh, that's what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, I just bought a bunch of them. Just I was in this like store in Michigan's Upper Peninsula that like didn't get uh, what's that called uh, people COVID. in it, and <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, and I went in there and I just I dropped like six hundred bucks there because I was I was trapped in the UPI like I couldn't leave because they shut the bridge down, and I was like, okay, what am I gonna do in this town in February for like an entire day? So I just went in the shop and just dug through just boxes. Wow. And he had a bunch of Queer and Rangers, and I was just like, yep, I'll just take all these. And um, just put them in a box, and then I found them, like, this week. And I was like, oh. Nice. We did it. <laughs> because there's no failed spec. There's only long-term specs. I, I think I, I think out of the two of these, I like Green Warden more. Ashaya seems a little more finicky and requires people to be thinking how to build around it properly. Well, a lot of people, it's the fifth most included card, which I'm like, no, are you sure about that? I don't know if this is as good in the 99. Um, I'm actually really not sure what to do with this card, um, but I think it's it's powerful and people are going to build big, dumb mono green decks and like someone's going to be like, why is Earth Surge from Guild Pact $4 now? Just going to do dumb stuff like that. Whether or not people build the deck, I bet they order an earth surge from card kingdom all i know is my standard six sweepers per deck is not going to go over well with this ashaya player it depends on how it sweeps right most of the, the key sweepers will take care of their <laughs> their forest land creatures true there are certain cards that that i think the ashaya the, the deck that is running ashaya gets to run to have a one-sided sweeper in certain color combinations, but pretty tough if you're mono green Ashaya. Yeah. All right. So how about Morog for Fury of Akum? This was uh, a showcase foil mythic that I made sure was in our most recent singles group buy because I was convinced European pricing was going to be too low, and indeed it was. Uh, it's a six-six legendary Minotaur warrior, four double red. Each creature you control gets plus one plus zero for each time it has attacked this turn. Landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, if it's your main phase, there's an additional combat phase after this phase. And at the beginning of the combat, untap all creatures you control. So with a, with a fetch land, you get to stack two extra combat steps? Mm-hmm. With Nahiri's Lithoforming, you get to stack X extra combat steps. <laughs> Yeah, the, the art on this is some of the best in the set, in the showcase version. It's a foil mythic. I, I don't see how... It, it has that same kind of niche appeal. Like, it's a certain kind of deck that wants this effect. It's not as broadly applicable as Ancient Green Warden or Thieving Skydiver. But I don't see how foil showcase Morogs aren't worth money in three years. I don't really know if like as nuts as everybody thinks this card is holds but like it's good and the decks where it's good it's great yeah it's just a question of how many decks actually will run it currently it's number six in inclusions a full 20 percent of all uh, decks containing red built so far are running it and this is just initial but like also this is everybody excited to build this set 
what it, what they're doing initially. What is Ilharg at right now? Because this is this from this feels like the Ilharg of the set. What's it? What's it? In what terms? Deck, in terms deck of like on EDH rec. Let's see. <laughs> this six mana red mythic feels like the other six mana red mythic. <laughs> well, there are four hundred and eleven <laughs> decks built around it. It's the number two ninety commander, commander of all time yeah. or last two years, and it's in fifty two hundred decks. So like two percent of all the red decks of the last that, two years. That that's respectable. Fifty two hundred is not not that bad. Yeah, it's respectable. The I think they're similar, Travis. But I mean, people. Do this, it doesn't go in good decks, in every though. Deck but automatically. it it doesn't go in good decks. The number one deck running Ilharg is uh, Perforos, the bronze blooded, sure. like the one nobody built. Uh, Xenagos, Nikia, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which I guess was Zilthora, Strength Incarnate. Uh, this is mostly a male card. Uh, Boborigmo, Stonebrow, like just crap commanders, right? Just like I'm just doing dumb stuff. Like green, green. this is a Maelstrom Wanderer card, and Maelstrom Wanderer is like the 15th most popular Ilhard commander. Sure, if that tells you anything. So like people are just doing just goofy stuff, but there's so many people that like to do goofy stuff that like I'm fine selling them cards. It's it's very disappointing how few people play fun red decks in this format as an aside like it's okay to attack an edh that's fun play play decks that do that it's interesting like i there's no color combo that i have wanted to build more than mono red i think which is weird because i never play in competitive formats but there's some fun ways to build it in commander well i have an atali deck and it's great and i had to talk myself out of running just a bunch of wildfire effects So, Braid of Fire shenanigans aside, how do we feel about Leyline Tyrant? 2-2 two, two red, 4-4 four, four flyer. You don't lose unspent red mana as steps and phases end. And when Leyline Tyrant dies, you may pay any amount of red mana. When you do, it deals that much damage to any target. This is card number 57 in the set. It's after Drawn of the Blood Chief and, like, Branch Loft Pathway. Do you think people will come around on it? Are they missing something here? Ah... <sighs> They have to, right? This card is nuts. It's a 4-4 four, for four, 4. It flies. Like, it's got good stats. So, like, you're never upset to draw this early. It doesn't just sit stranded in your hand because it costs 8 mana to run out. This is a 4-drop. You run this on turn 3. And it's, you it's know? basically got, like, a sneaky reverse Basalt Monolith thing going on where if you tap out, store the mana, and then untap, you could cast something at twice whatever your existing red mana profile is. Plus, you don't lose the mana. Like, if you kill an Omnath or a the green blue one, whatever that one is, you just lose the mana. But you don't lose. You can like do some with the mana. You could blast the person who kills it, which is like a rattlesnake. Like, I think Leyline Tyrant's underbuilt currently. Um, you know, it looks like the the commanders. Running at most or what doesn't even say on this page. It's certainly a very, I, I don't want to say very unique. You don't need to say very unique. Things are unique or they're not. It's a uh, rarely found ability that maybe people don't quite know how to evaluate correctly yet. Um, but the, the type of text that you definitely want on the table, it's, especially since it's like pseudo ramp yeah. in red, 
Mm-hmm. It's a mythic. It's a dragon. It's got a lot going on. And there are a ton of X spells. Like even in just in this set, there's like scatter or shatter skull spashing and Nahiri's lithoforming. Like there are good red X spells in this set, not just like in the format where there are a ton of them. Yeah, if Tyrant gets cheap, I'm buying some for sure. The problem here is, yeah, it seems to be the current price more than anything. There, yeah, it's like twelve. I, I would argue bucks. that there's a higher density of strong playable mythics in this set than we typically see. And that means they can't all be expensive while the set's still in print. Well, the the bad mythics are good because the bad mythics are like Seagate Restoration that like just goes in like a uh, Charbelcher deck. Sure. So even like the bad mythics are DFCs. <laughs> so they're like super useful. So let's talk about these these flip lands. To what extent do you expect to see these see a year say a year out? Like is every commander player going to realize they should just run a copy cuz I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Like, Clearwater Pathway is cool because it comes into play untapped, but also, like, you can't choose blue or black in a given turn. Like, this is a blue land forever, and I think that might not be as great as people want, especially with, like, you can't fetch land it. Like, I, I think these are probably okay, but I don't think these are, these are like, EDH staples. I think... There are a lot of cycles of $1 lands that are probably going to end up bearing out being better than these. I could be wrong about that, but just like just thinking about how they play, like I got a Bright Climb Pathway and I could play like a Guild Gate tapped, but instead I play this untapped, maybe make a play, and then it's a Swamp Forever, but it doesn't count for Cabal Coffers, and also like I can't tap it for white mana ever, like... Anytime you're thinking, like, shit, man, I wish this was a guild gate, that's kind of an indictment of a card, if you ask me. I I am on the page, same page as you, and we talked about this a bit last week, and I my basic takeaway was, I don't think this card is... These are good. I think these are... You, when you compare them to Evolving Wilds and Terramorphic Expanse, they might come out behind, especially in EDH. Uh, so... I run a lot of basics yeah. because I run a lot of because like you're you're rewarded for running basics quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, anything I can't boundless realms for, it's just sort of like, OK, yeah. I don't know. I, I've pushed out a push in a significant amount of chips on foil clearwater pathways under ten dollars already, because <laughs> that is some of the best land art we've ever had in Magic's history. But oh, that's hot, and it's the number eleven card right now. It's the number one DFC currently. Yeah, I mean blue blue black fixing tends to do a little better. We saw the same thing with Morphic Pool. Um, you know what I think is the number one DFC moving forward and forever. Valakid Awakening is absolutely nuts because it's a land. It's a it's a mountain on the backside if you need it, but it's like one of the best wheels we've seen. Yeah, put any number of cards from your hand on the bottom of your library, then draw that many cards plus one. But it's not a sorcery; it's an instant. Yeah, so it it has fewer decks where it's good than like a, a a red wheel. Like, it's not great in Nekusar, but like it's still really good in the decks where you drawing matters. Like, um, uh, uh what's it called? Uh, Scare Locust God. Yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. So, it's not great in Zyrus, but like nobody's building Zyrus. So, Valakid Awakening, I can get behind as a very relevant card. Like that seems so much better to me than the lands. So I think Travis is most like. 
the point that stuck with me from last week's discussion on the pathways was that there's definitely five or six land cycles that are just better than the pathways for EDH, and that the, even the Ikoria triomes are much closer to being super staples than the pathways are likely to be. Um, but I am heartened by the fact that we're the top deck in the Pioneer Challenge in the last few days ran four pathways in the main. Um, it was a red-green aggro deck. And there was two or three other decks that were also running for it. Didn't look like they had made their way into Modern at all, because Modern, of course, has even more options. But seems like standard Pioneer and a modicum of EDH play. And it's possible that these end up make their way into EDH rec stats just because people are cracking them and using them. Whereas, you know, somebody who start, started playing the year after Kaladesh might not even have those duels. I think people throw a card in their EDH deck if they have it. And there's so many, like... Like, not great in standard $2 cards a tap for a white or a blue that, like, you can tap. You can change the mana you tap for later. Like, I don't like committing to a color, per se. I, I do like I do like Valakut Awakening, because you can play it as a, a mountain until you need it, and then pick it up with Moloku or Trade Roots or something like that, and then use it. Yeah, that's sexy. So I kind of like the ones that are spells on the front, where you can, like, s- keep it from... Keep them from like making you discard it by playing it as a land and then picking it back up later. So I mean, more broadly, let's look at the five mythic flip land slash spells. Is there any reason why commander players aren't just running these? Just yes, like they generally they are generally speaking run a turn timber symbiosis in pretty much every green deck. Um, you don't always want a seven mana spell clogging up your hand, but like Agadim's Awakening is number twenty right now. Seagate Restoration's twenty three. Turn Timber Symbiosis is thirty. Um, I think the other ones suck. Amira's calls like forty three or something or fifty three. Yeah, it's fifty three. And uh, what's the other one? Shatter Skull. Shatter Skull Smashing. Oh, Shatter Skull Smashing's uh forty nine. I, I, so. I predict that all of these come up into the top 15. At least three of the five. Top 15 or top 15? Top 15. My my argument is similar to Thieving Skydiver in the sense that I think these just, a lot of them fit into decks kind of no matter what that deck is doing. Because the three life to put it into play untapped isn't that big a deal in a, a format with four, that starts with 40 life. And... The black one is very specific. Like, you have to be running a deck that has a bunch of creatures at low, re- relatively low casting cost to care whether it's in the deck at all. But Turn Timber Symbiosis is just, you know, if you get to the point where you don't need this as a land, you're just going to cast that spell because most decks will be able to make use of it. And it's not even bad to pay seven mana for a small creature because it gets the counters on it. Yep, exactly. I mean, they, they clearly thought about that and added that text. So, I mean, Turn Timber... And Shatter Skull Smashing, the fact that in a red deck, your life total just generally is going to is going to count for less. And Smashing is likely to show up in Constructed Play for the same reason. Because it gives them yeah. access to a fireball type effect on the backside of a land, and they don't care if they lose three life at all. Um, so I, I'm keeping my eye on these. If, if these get too cheap and the, the stats start getting better on EDH rec, I'm definitely going to be acquiring reasonable stacks. I mean, Undo Inversion is like a... Some of these are like a non-terrible spell just on the front, too, that the non-mythic ones like. Undo Inversion's 8, 
mana, but it blows up all non-lands. That's pretty cool. I guess, it... you know, I already talked about how much I like uh, Valakid Awakening. One of the things that people need to be aware of is that these are spells first, right? The lands are on the back. So you can't return these to play with uh, Crucible of Worlds, correct? Right. But you can't, if you have something that brings a sorcery or an instant or a creature back to your hand, depending on what they are, um, then you're still gravy. You could get a landfall trigger, sure. yeah. Um, all right, so how about Felidar Retreat? Is this like a Cathar's Crusade kind of card? I I don't know what to think about this card. It's like a better version of the the retreat, the white one that like didn't really get that much play. Um, retreat, re- it's retreat a bad Cathar's Crusade kind of. Yeah. yeah, retreat to Amiria. It's like a because that gave you a, like a one-one soldier, or your creatures got one-one till the end of the turn. Like this is better than that in every way, but also like what was playing that you wouldn't take Cathar's Crusade out for this. So like all the Cathar's Crusade decks need to find another card to cut to put that in. But like those aren't all necessarily landfall decks either. They're trying to hit creature fall, not landfall. So I'm like, I'm worried that Felidar Retreat is a good card that doesn't have a deck that is just going to be completely miserable and limited. Like, yeah, I don't think you can beat this card in limited. It does matter that it makes cats given that Wizards has fully committed to continuously funneling cat and dog cards to the Ren and Siri players. I mean, sure, this goes in Ren and Stimpy for sure. I just, I don't know. I don't know if you need a second Cathar's Crusade. What is this? What is this? Kitty Cathar's Crusade? Hmm. I don't, I don't know that you need a second one, and I don't know what you'd take out. Um, Landfalls, it's tough. Like, you, it's way easier to put tokens creatures into play in a Ren and Siri deck than it is to put lands into play. So like I feel like this is a really good card that just uh, doesn't have an EDH deck. Well you get to you get to run it, it in four color Omnath now because he's white. I'm not going to. <laughs> okay. But yeah I could. Okay. Um how about Omnath himself? We talked about this a little bit already. You you think this had this is this a top ten commander for the next two years? Um, he's a little clunky to build with when it comes down to it. Like, I can't, he's not as straightforward as the other Omnath was, because it was like, oh, just play lands, draw cards. This draws a card and then never draws a card again. So, like, this is just going to ruin a bunch of other formats, but he's really clunky. Because you can only trigger him three times without having to blink him or bounce him. So, like, I, I don't. I don't know if he's like the best commander in the set, but it's he's obvious, so everyone's building him right now. But like, also, the legendary creatures in this set kind of suck. Like, what's going to knock him out of the number one spot in this set? Akiri is number two, and it has like a fifth as many decks as Omnath currently built. I- Cherix is number three, and like that card's. D- this is just Akiri has total like joke. Akiri decks. has to be What's waiting that? on equipment. There has to be an equipment themed set coming this year because otherwise, all the equipment plants in Zenikar Rising make no sense. I mean, that's possible. With Cherix is three, Ashai is four. Aura, I think, probably moves up the uh, the the cleric one. 
Because people love cleric decks, so they keep telling me. <laughs> Travis loves them very much. I do. They're my favorite. Uh, well, did those specs cards. pay off? I told you, man. I was two years early, but I nailed it. I haven't dug them out yet. So, so how about the... T- <laughs> well, sell those foil edge walkers, buddy. <laughs> I, th- you know, I, I don't know if I got any of those. I think that those were really low supply even then. Makes sense. So how about the two artifacts that people talked up a bunch? Uh, as the they were revealed lithoform engine forecast and cost legendary artifact for two you get to copy an activated or triggered ability you control for three you get to copy target instant or sorcery you control for four you get to copy target permanent you control jason you said you think this card's overrated yeah absolutely i really don't like it that much like it's very narrow it looks like it's not narrow but like they're like every deck has one of those but like i don't know it's a better strionic resonator kind of except it costs a lot more mana and like if you're not doing anything that a strionic resonator couldn't do in your deck then it's not better Hmm. so like how many decks can use all three of these modes this card to me looks like something that's gonna get cheap and then it's gonna drain out and it's not gonna take that long for it to happen I remember when the Great Henge was revealed, people didn't think much of that card either. And yeah. the extended art foils of that are now worth infinity. And people that were in early were rewarded. I don't think I'm going to buy a hundred of this, but I want to have some of these because it just, it has that open-ended synergy thing that I'm always looking for with EDH cards where I don't have to worry about which commander is going to be popular next year. This one will just fit into a bunch of decks. And whether it's optimal in those decks doesn't matter as much as whether player whether it has showcase appeal and players think it's fun or good i think you need casual appeal and i think this card is a little too spiky for casual players like i am on edh facebook groups where guys like i'm a new player forgive me why the hell do people talk about necropotence like it's such a good card sure sure you the get eternal damage the for eternal draw question. and you don't get a draw phase you don't get a draw phase come on so to a player who thinks that Necropotence is a bad card, this looks like a bad card. To a player who thinks Necropotence is a bad card, Immortal Sun looks like a very good card. But also to somebody who's very good at EDH, Immortal Sun looks like a very good card. So I kind of think these, like, Timmy Mythics, where we need 60-card casual and 100-card casual to, to, like, help us drain some of the supply on these... If the card is a little too spiky for them to like, oh, you just copy a spell, it's kind of lame. Um, I don't see as much casual hype for this, and I, I think that's important All right. and necessary. Is... And I don't think it justifies its current price tag. Forsaken Monument was high on my list early on, and the, I've come down on it a little on the basis that I think there aren't that many commanders that can make great use of it. Five for a legendary artifact. Colorless creatures you control get plus two, plus two. Whenever you tap a permanent for colorless mana, you add an additional colorless mana, so your soul rings make three, etc. Whenever you cast a colorless spell, you gain two life. Yeah, this kind of, it's like, I make infinite mana with basalt monolith, and then, so what? I guess, right? I don't know. I don't really know. I, I, I'll, I'm, I'm with you. I, James tried to sell me on this last week, and I wasn't buying it. I did not, uh, I was not on board. Currently in fewer decks than Vine Gecko, Malakir Blood Priest, and Thwart the Grave. 
I think this is a card where <laughs> the way the color rules work hurts it. Um, because you need mm-hmm. to be generating a bunch of colorless creatures. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a colorless commander, per se. But whatever token generation strategy you're using, you really want those creatures to be colorless. <laughs> so. But like you got to play like pain lands and stuff to tap for true colorless if this isn't just in like a deck with wastes, mm-hmm. right? Like it's tough to get true colorless. And like it was a dumb mechanic when they introduced it. And like it's it's left uh, a, an annoying legacy of this is a potential complication and a source of confusion for new players later. Because they're like, I did tap for colors. It's like, no, you can't tap a forest for that colorless. Sure. This is only colorless. It's true colorless. It's it's just a source of confusion, I think, for new players. And I, I think it's it's an unnecessary drawback to pretty medium cards. You know, do we really need to nerf Forsaken Monument by making it? I don't know. So I think that this was actually priced very high out of the gate uh, on the initial hype. Foil Extended Arts are currently, there's only three copies sitting on TCG from pre-release weekend, and they're at $49. I think we can all agree that's probably a sell right Oof. now, and reevaluate oh, yeah. if the stats get better down the road. For sure. I hate this card. Okay. At the moment, I would buy Extended Foil Art Forsaken Monuments at like 7 yeah, I think I think sub ten is a nice target. They may not get below fifteen, but I guess we'll see. The yeah. um, part one of the complicating factors here, of course, is the choked supply chain <laughs> action going on. Things that come only out of the collector booster boxes in a month where they're not all going to land on the same weekend like they normally were. That's going to float a bunch of cards higher than it should. And then the, the supply coming in waves. It just like you have more ability to buy copies at the current price, but not enough. Supply to push the current price. Yeah, down. you never you never get that massive dump in the same weekend is the thing, and the hype cycle also. That's how you get fifty dollar tiny bones. Yeah, and the hype cycle also moves on because we got the Commander Legends out another three or four weeks from now. That that hype cycle starts, so they don't have that much time to resolve the supply chain issue, especially given the fact that nobody needs to run out and buy standard cards. This Zendikar Rising could sell significantly worse than it should have overall i mean yeah and plus no one's drafting it too Mm -hmm. uh i haven't heard people talk much about jace mirror mage other than on uh command zone uh during their review but they pointed at that cute interaction with it where basically anything that like doubling season ish um or replacement effects where if you would draw a card, draw two instead, lets it do very nasty things. Because you get to draw on his plus one, uh, on his zero, draw a card and reveal it. Remove a number of loyalty counters equal to the card's converted mana cost. Um, If you replace the draw, then you don't actually have to mess with his loyalty. Because it replaces the entire effect. So you just draw two cards for zero. Seems fair. So with Teferi's Ageless Insight, with Alahamret's Archive, with whatever the seven Thought Reflection, seven casting cost enchantment. Yeah, yeah Thought I, Reflection. Yep. All all of those make Mirror Mage pretty nasty. And do- honestly, that that sounds more like a standard thing. 
Well, and or maybe Pioneer. Pretty sure he goes into my Atraxa build because the doubling season when he comes into play, he can make the token of himself, and they would both have double the loyalty. <laughs> so nobody's talking about yeah. Mirror Mage really, and seems like a better Planeswalker for Commander than people are giving it credit for. It's just it, all that stuff seems a little cute, but like, yeah, it's possible that it goes up from where it is now, which is like the sixty eighth card. 67. The art's also pretty cool on the foil border list, so if they get real cheap, I'll take a look at it. Oh, yeah. Well, guess what's 65? Confounding Conundrum, which, like, I dare people to play against me. (laughs) They're like, we're gonna stop the ramp player down there. Like, I have Sakura Tribe Scout, Badoka Gardener, like, burgeoning. Like, I would love to get more landfall triggers. Please play Mm. Confounding Conundrum against me. (laughs) I kind of wondered about that. It seems like this hate card could backfire and and in a way that most hate cards don't do that. It's going to stop the Boros player from cracking their fetch land, and it's just going to make the land ramp player be like, oh, cool, I pick up a bounce land and get four extra landfall triggers this turn. Thank you. Yeah, I can't go from 11 to 12 lands. What a shame, but I can hit all these, all this bullshit. Because, like, I think the way to get around this is, like, Burgeoning and Sakura Tribe Scout, which are, like, more landfall decks should be playing, and I'm playing them already. And, like, that's what people should be transitioning to if they're not already. And um, this just makes them better. So, like, I think people were really hyped about this. Like, oh, we're going to stop the ramp decks. But, like, in practice, I think this card's pretty bad. Okay. Scoot Swarm is putting up decent numbers. It was also doing lots of work in Standard this week on the back of its Mutate build. Uh, This looks like it has legs for EDH, yeah? Hundreds and thousands of legs. (laughs) Literally. Uh, Foil showcases at their lows is what I'd be looking at. These should get pretty cheap given everything else that's going on in this set. Yeah, there's a lot of really, really good rares that would be worth a lot more money if they were not rares. Mm-hmm. Like, Phyleth being a, a non-mythic, okay. Yeah, that's the 4 red, green, 5-5, five, five, also an elemental. When Phyleth World Sculptor enters the battlefield, create a 0-1 green plant creature token for each basic land you control. Uh, and then landfall, whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, put 4 plus 1 plus 1 counters on target plant you control. So we've seen this before, and we know this this set of abilities is good. Guess what? Two things I've never done in my entire life. Four, five years of brewing decks every week on uh, Cool Stuff Inc. I've never made a landfall deck that did not have Avenger of Zendikar, and I've never made a landfall deck that did not have red. Yeah. Hmm. So, like, this just goes in, like, 50 decks I've brewed. And and this showcase version has nice art. Foils are going to look nice. Yeah. All, all three of these big green creatures seem destined to see a strong amount of play. Which which the, three the, are you talking about? Phyleth, Yesharn, and uh, are you talking Green Warden, Ashaya, and Phyleth? Yeah, those three. You never okay. made a Gitrog Monster deck. Uh, it wasn't Landfall. It was like Land Matters per se, but it was more like it was more about putting lands in the graveyard than it was putting them in play. Yeah, I'll allow it. But I I did make a Gitrog Monster deck for sure. I think what hurts each of these the most is the presence of the others in the same set. <laughs> if if any two of these were replaced with bad cards, then the other one would be worth that much more. I mean, I'm glad Phyleth isn't a mythic as a like person who 
wants to see people have access to it to play the format. But as a financier, it feels like a whiff when you've got some pretty questionable mythics in the set. How about Nissa of Shadowed Bows? Is is this the the best planeswalker by far for EDH in here? In the set of the two, three Nahiri's is in there as well. Oh, there's Nahiri. Um, I like Nissa. I don't have a deck for it, but like it, it it seems pretty cool. I think like Lord Wingrace probably jams it. Yeah, 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 for sure. For loyalty, landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you put a loyalty counter on Nissa. Plus one untapped target land you control. You may have it become a 3-3 elemental creature with haste and menace until end of turn. That's the black side of the card. And minus five, you may put a creature card with converted mana costs less than or equal to the number of lands you control onto the battlefield from your hand or graveyard with two plus one plus one counters on it. So you can either sneak attack something in or you can resurrect something. That is very flexible. This card's sick. This untaps a Nykthos that you either tapped or came into play tapped. You know, like that kind of crap. It's another Cabal yep. Coffers activation. And then, like, you get back a dead creature. Um, like, this is just, it's real solid. I don't have a deck for it, per se, but, like, I, I'm sure Wintlore Wingrace players are going to take a look at it. And I'm sure there's going to be a Black Containing Lands Matters Commander in um, in Commander Legends. So there's, like, a 100% chance of that, right? <laughs> like, yeah. if not, then in the next year, like... I know they just did Lord Wingrace, but like they also just did Omnath two months ago. So, all right, I know uh, Papa Bear, Daddy Travis needs to get on with his life here. So let's quickly brush on through some pioneer and modern applications here. Oh, way to blame it on me! <laughs> hey, it was my fault two years ago. Sky Skyclave Apparition uh, has already top aided in Pioneer. This is the basically uh, uh, white exile right. effect. On, yeah, Oblivion Wing. And it's uh, actual Oblivion wings, Ring as it were. because it yeah. has the old wording. Mm-hmm. Uh, this card looks good, does work. The downside of them not getting the permanent back, but getting a, a random creature instead seems like something you can work around. Um, so I, I would not be surprised to see this do decent work in, in Commander as well. Did you call uh, this in, Oblivion Wing because you think it has flying? Because j- the art makes it look like it has flying, but this is does, another whip. Does well. it not fly? It does not yeah, fly. I, I completely assumed it flew because uh, of yep. the art. Is this another <laughs> Thief of Hope? Thief of Hope is always my go-to for that. Yeah. Or, yeah uh, cor- <laughs> as soon as you call it a spirit, I assume it has flying. I didn't realize that in that wall of text it doesn't. Uh, so anyway, Lotus Cobra. I don't think anybody's surprised. Given how much damage that card is doing in Standard right now, uh, it seems likely it's going to pop up in Pioneer sooner or later. And then the ban list. Yep. Uh, the thing is, Pioneer doesn't have fetches, but then neither does Standard, and it doesn't matter right now. No, they've got uh, the uh, the one from... Um, uh, Fable Passage. Passage. Yeah, Fable yeah. Passage, uh, which was uh, one of Travis's picks this week, actually. The... Other two that caught my attention that Travis didn't like, Magmatic Channeler and Seagate Stormcaller. And I think of the two, I like Magmatic Channeler for this purpose more. Um, and I'd argue that it's probably, it looks like it's underplayed, underreported so far in the EDH list. It's in nine decks. Travis said, and I think I quote this re- relatively accurately, that if you're playing this in your Is It build in EDH, you should just kill yourself. Or I, I would like not have said time. kill yourself, but <laughs> it was definitely in that. <laughs> Nobody this cares thing, about having a 4-4 four, four for 2. Like, that's not a thing you care about in EDH, but, like... For sure. 20 but, life formats, you are you get value out of your 4-4 four, four for 2. It's a werebear, baby. 
in Pioneer and Modern, this is a Jund card. Uh, where it can play a Tarmogoyf like rule, but still create card advantage. In EDH, I don't care about the 4-4. I care about the fact that I get to discard cards and then look at two cards and cast one of them. That's plenty useful. That's lots of card draw if you don't kill this. Look at two, cast something, look at two, cast something every turn. That's a nice engine. Yeah, I, I like Seagate Stormcaller a little bit more for 60 card formats. Sure. Do you like Magmatic Channeler for EDH at all? Personally, no, but like I don't play the kind of deck, so like I, I might be biased by the fact that it's way down on the list. It's like in the eighties right yeah. now. It's yeah. it's in nine report it's in nine reported decks on EDA track. Yeah. Granted. But that just seems so wrong to me. I don't think people have, have grokked that you get to cat you get to play anything out of the two. You can play it you can draw <laughs> lands with it. You can draw any kind of permanent, you can draw an instant of sorcery. And you're picking from the two. You, so it's like a, a creature that taps scry two and lets you play. Are you talking about in commander or pioneer? In wherever you're playing. But, okay, but, but in commander. But in commander, if you're playing is it, every one of the cards in your deck does this. And they probably do it better. Like it's not, it's just it's not an effect you you're hurting for. Yeah, you're not super happy to be dredging useful spells away. And I'm gonna I'm gonna throw game. this in, in an is it deck and play shortly to test this out because it seems better to me than people are giving it credit for. But I don't think that's primarily an EDH card. I definitely am more curious about it in Pioneer and Modern than I am there. I think I think this, the very smart players that play 60 card stuff were really high in Seagate Stormcaller, and I think that could just be because they're like, oh, it's a Snapcaster, kind of. Sure. But like, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's... I think it's fine, but I don't understand enough about those formats to to talk about them. So the other the only other stuff I've got flagged for Pioneer is the Pathways. They obviously are going to make an impact there. They're useful. Uh, and then the the entire class of cards that is the Fliplands. I, I don't think anybody has a full grasp yet on how many and which of are going to have the biggest impact on the formats beyond standard where it, they have a, a lot of them have already been doing work. There's even like the red one that do, pings for one damage is very useful this week in standard because it kills Lotus Cobras. Uh, can't remember the name of that. I really one. liked seeing a bunch of DFCs in a Char Belcher list. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. We talked, we talked about that deck earlier on cast. <laughs> the uh, it's definitely uh, spike field hazard is the one I'm, I'm looking at. Deals one damage to any target for one red. And if a permanent dealt damage this way would die this turn, exile it instead. That's useful because not only does that kill Lotus Cobras, but when Uro comes into play and his trigger goes on the stack, you can hit him for one. And when he dies, he gets exiled instead of going to the graveyard. Yeah. Sexy. You can you can stack it that way. That's pretty sweet. And then the only card that I don't have flagged for Pioneer that... All, all the stuff that we flagged for Pioneer still has a shot in Modern, I would think, um, although less of one. Shatter Skull Smashing in Mono Red decks uh, in Modern, I'm curious about. And then Scourge of the Skyclaves is the mythic that is making the biggest waves in Modern already in Black-White Death Shadow decks as a four of. And that's pretty much all I've got. I don't... This, this set, very Commander-tuned overall. Um... Which is which is too bad because one of the set specific mechanics party just sucks in EDH. It's so bad. Like having yeah, party specific commanders like Tazri and Linvala both just suck. 
Because you're just like, you're a tribal deck, but you have to run five tribes. Well, like, the only way I could see this being good is, like, if you built your Linvala deck as, like, Merfolk. So you have a Merfolk wizard, you have a Merfolk rogue. If Are there... Yeah, there's, like, two mono-blue Merfolk rogues, and they both suck. So, like, good luck with that. Pa- so, it just... I don't know. Party, party is a limited mechanic that... Mm-hmm. Also, super casual players will get to enjoy in EDH and not care. I think it will be better in 60-card casual. Or, like, I guess 67-card yeah. casual. Yeah, it, <laughs> but that's the point. Is it, it, it's, a, it's a limited and very casual mechanic, and it is not intended to be anything else. Now, all that said, they are clearly setting up for the D&D set next summer, where there will be, like, every single creature will be typed to be party. For sure. So the we're going to get more tools to play with and we can reevaluate once we see if they give us anything extra fun. I don't think that'll help BDH, but like if this doesn't suck everywhere, that'd be cool. But the fact that like people can't like I would love Party Unlimited, but like I've played no limited of this set. I, I did see some reviews from pros about Party Unlimited saying it was one of the more interesting mechanics of all time, that it had a lot of good play because you had to make careful trade offs about when you wanted to like building or building to support it required intelligence and that during play figuring out when you wanted to try to max your party value like do i cast this party card now or wait until i get one more uh, ended up leading to interesting decisions so apparently i've watched a, a bit of the limited and looks pretty fun yeah i mean that's kind of what i was talking about that like it's yeah, it works very well there, but not anywhere else. I could see, the, in order for this to see play in EDH at all, like, they'd have to print a commander that's, like, whenever you cast a party member ca- creature, you can, like, search your library for another an, another party member, basically. Like, if you search for a wizard, if you play a wizard, you can go search for a rogue cleric or warrior type of thing. But or even, you even can get that. it as long as they share one type. Yeah, well, then that pushes you into the merfolk type strategy right like because you would have to pick an overriding you'd essentially have to pick a, a creature a, a race a, a unifying race and then search based on because cl- you'd have to have that one thing in common amongst all your creatures yeah i just think like there there's so many tribal payoffs in in edh and like having a, a deck where you care about the the creature's tribal affiliation but like you can't get any benefit from it just kind of hurts yeah there's do either of you have a pet card we haven't talked about um that we haven't talked about i like valakut mm-hmm. exploration a lot okay um so uh it has a landfall trigger when a land enters a battlefield you exile the top card of your library and you can play it for as long as it remains exiled yeah and at the beginning you run step if there are exiled cards you can um dome somebody with them i really like just casting a big splendid reclamation or scape shift or boundless realms or something like that and just either just killing somebody or just playing a bunch of free spells like this card is uh is pretty cool i don't know if it's going to go on all the landfall decks i have but i like valakut exploration and here he's lithoforming quite a bit because you don't need green at that point necessarily and uh for uncommons i think marasa root grazer is uh pretty awesome 
What's that one do? Oh, oh it's the, the two, it's two three for white and a green vigilance yeah. beast. Tap, put a basic land from your hand on the battlefield. Tap, return target basic land you control to its owner's hand. So that, yeah, that's handy in a number of ways. Just a just a solid because putting the the lands into play, it's easier to come by. But like picking lands up is not as easy. I wish you could pick up non basics so you could like pick up a a DFC and, and like flip it or play it as a spell or something like that. So they, I think they very specifically. Yeah, didn't give it that happen. ability just yeah. so it wouldn't be too good in this set but pick, picking up lands um to get landfall triggers later is is very good i n- n- all right i think we'd let's just say nothing in this set really jumped out at me some a lot of times there's something that that does it for me but this time i'm just like eh eh set's good not, not amazing it it feels a little dialed back for constructed but i'm i'm still curious whether the flip lands were a mistake not the pathways but the ones that have spells on the other side especially given that we're getting uh more pathways and more flip stuff in the next couple of sets i think dfcs are a theme for the whole year so (laughs) and i think dfcs have have potential for going wrong a whole year like i'm pretty sure there's different dfcs in both kaldheim and the hogwarts uh set anyway huge thank yous to jason Ult, king of edh for joining us to talk about said same and uh very interested to see where things go with these zendikar rising singles uh where can people find you online travis i am on twitter at wizard bumpin b-u-m-p-i-n and of course i show up here all the time um jason Alt, where can our listeners find you if they so desire your words i'm on the bird site at jason e alt i have a pin post at the top of my profile that shows all the different places i contribute around the internet i'm a writer for mtg price a site you may have heard of mm-hmm. i write for cool stuff inc i do the 75 percent edh uh, deck building ethos there i am on a podcast called brainstorm brewery the number one mtg finance podcast <laughs> in truth. terms of number truth. of episodes <laughs> it's it's true but um, the oldest it, one and, uh, and a very good crew and i'm on the uh they said we said youtube network where i do various uh, projects with john dunning who is another magic community guy uh who's interested in films as much as me so i do some non-magic stuff as well if you wanted to check something like that out all right in 10 seconds what did you think of the dune trailer <laughs> um i think denny villeneuve was the guy to make the movie. if anybody is going to make dune and make it accessible i think denny villeneuve is the guy to do it and if you don't believe me go watch blade runner hmm. okay i think the pink floyd song was atrocious there's no time left <laughs> but like all right. also like that trailer was made like over zoom the this the pink floyd arrangement like uh <laughs> they said they made it like over zoom so i was like all right <laughs> yeah that, that's tough the the scoring wasn't my issue but uh okay that's we, fine we, we we can dig deeper at another time yeah uh you guys can find me on twitter at mdg critic as well as via my occasional articles on mgg i actually have an article coming out this week that will be an echo of our discussion on 
some tips for upping your MTG Finance game um, that we discussed on cast last week. That'll launch tomorrow or Thursday. And uh, I'd like to re- remind our listeners to check out the mggprice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns, open up access to group buys, and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is probably some sponsored by cool stuff inc where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock including the best in magic the gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles use the promo code finance five during checkout at cool stuff inc to save five percent off your order and support this cod podcast this cod past this cod piece which brings us to the end of episode 238 in our massive zendikar review uh gentlemen i have enjoyed our time together as always jason thanks again for for joining us this week Literally anytime. All right. And James, I will catch you next week. Thank you, James. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Jason. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. (laughs) 